Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Welcome to episode 53 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. Now, my guest today is the voice of Ring of Honor. Now, you know what? A normal introduction, that's, that's just not going to be good enough because this man has been introducing me on this podcast since its inception. So I need to return the, the favor. I'll never be able to do it as good, but I got to give it a shot. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, it is my esteemed pleasure to introduce a true legend in professional wrestling. Hailing from Boston, Massachusetts, he is the voice of Ring of Honor, Bobby Cruz. My goodness, Kevin. How you awful know, is that? Yeah, you know, I will say this. I'm very happy that... Uh, you know, Ring of Honor has myself and uh, Nick Lendl as the ring announcers. I'll, be, I'll just say that. <laughs> so if something ever happens to me, we have Nick. Uh, yeah, that's uh, – but I'm sure we could fit you in in the top 52 maybe. <laughs> Interesting number you chose there, top 52. Okay, I think mm. – hmm, I got it. I got it. Welcome to episode 53, everyone. <laughs> you know, we had Todd back on – God, it was like episode – 14 or something back in the early days. Uh, but and I, do, you know what? I'm, and I'm actually pretty sure that people still have not woken up after they fell asleep from his, uh, his podcast. <laughs> well, you know, your name came up a few times on that podcast. So I know I heard, I listened actually. I did. I did listen. Todd is uh, my best friend in wrestling that we've traveled the world together and all these years in the ring of honor. So I knew, I knew he would have stuff to say. Usually it's pretty good. Usually. Yes. Yes. Well, uh, we'll we'll probably get to you and Todd, you know, maybe a little later in the in the podcast. But obviously, we got to talk about uh, the big news in Ring of Honor is that we just had the landmark episode, episode number five hundred. I know you were there for episode number one. How many of the five hundred? If you, I mean, obviously, you were there for most of them, right? Yeah. Yeah, I would guess if so. Five hundred episodes. I'm gonna guess maybe. Somewhere between 488 and 492, I'm guessing, right around there. Wow. Well, let me – you missed the – when we did the reboot, right, with the Pure Tournament, you were not able to make that first taping, right? So you missed some episodes there. Well, that's true. That's eight right there or whatever. I wasn't even thinking of that. Say, great point, Kevin. So probably maybe closer to 480, 475 to 480. It's okay. probably a more accurate number. Okay. Yes. Well, that's still, that's a that's a great percentage there though. Four seventy five <laughs> out of five hundred. So that's pretty good. That is pretty good. That's a good winning percentage. It is. Uh, so we had Chris Hero on the show last week. Uh, he was in the main event of episode one, Kings of Wrestling against uh, Wrestling's Greatest Tag Team, and I asked him about his memories of that first taping. Uh, what are your memories of it? And I'll ask you the same question that I that I posed to him which was basically, at the time, did you sense that it was going to be as much of a game changer for Ring of Honor as it was, or as it turned out to be, or was there some uncertainty about it? Yeah, definitely for me, there was some uncertainty. And that's not a a negative comment. That's actually a compliment as to what it's turned into. Um, Definitely some uncertainty for me back then. After being with Ring of Honor for so many years, and Carrie owned it, 
And now Sinclair Broadcast Group coming in. And, you know, we had a, a kickoff kind of introductory meeting with them. And they explained their plans. And then they told us, well, we're standing in Chicago Ridge, Illinois. And that's exactly where we're going to do our first TV here a couple of months or whatever it was down the road, a few months down the road. Um, it was, um, I wouldn't even say controlled chaos that night. I would say it was uncontrolled chaos. Uh, <laughs> there were a lot, a lot of glitches, uh, a lot of issues that we had. There was some big, big downtime in between matches. Uh, you know, they were working on stuff in the production truck outside and so forth. Uh, you know, they always say, um, you know, in my real, my real life job, not that ring announcing isn't, but my real life job, my other job is I'm a beer salesman. And whenever a new store opens or so forth, I always recommend them doing what you call a soft opening, right? So you kind of open up without advertising it and work out all the bugs with the, you know, your computer system, your registers, your staff, all that stuff. And then you do a grand opening when you've got all those bugs worked out. Well, we did a grand opening before we had any bugs worked out, basically, was that, was that night in Chicago Ridge. And uh, it was a long night. Um, it was exciting. Because, you know, we knew that with, with Sinclair now uh, distributing on their own uh, stations our TV show every week, we were going to be all over the country. And that was something very different than we, anything we'd been used to with, uh, prior with uh, Carrie owning it. So it was, a, it was a big deal. It was exciting. But it was also, I was definitely, I definitely had my guard up as to uh, what to expect. Is it true that Joe Koff said backstage, hey, does anybody know if Justin Roberts is free? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't remember that. Uh, luckily for me, if he did say that, I didn't hear it. At that time, Justin was uh, very well employed with WWE, so I yeah. would have been safe. Yeah. Okay. Well, you never know with WWE. There's no such thing as safely employed. Uh, take that from firsthand knowledge here. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, let me ask you about uh, you know, this, this whole crazy past year. Uh, that we've been in, you know, it's been a year, I guess, a little over a year since things really got crazy with the pandemic. ROH had to uh, sort of suspend doing live shows uh, or any kind of shows really for about, I guess, five, five or six months. Uh, what has life been like for you uh, during this past year? Because as you mentioned, you do have a quote unquote shoot job. So I mean, what, what have things been like for you? Very different. Um, it, with, with work-wise, not only, of course, Ring of Honor, but the, the, but the shoot job, as you refer to, and, and my daughters. I mean, my, uh, my younger daughter, uh, Kenna, was graduating high school last year, um, and she's the one that I really just felt badly for out of everyone I knew, basically. Um, not only being a senior and losing the senior prom, losing the traditional type of graduation, but also, um, she's a, a sports star in, in high school with softball and soccer. And she was a three-year captain in, um, in soccer. She was always, you know, looked at as a leader and so forth. Not only her performance on the fields, but also her leadership. Uh, it's something that she's just really picked up on naturally. And um, softball was the same thing. She was named a captain as a junior, which doesn't happen often. And um, really... Um, Really had a really, really solid junior year. Made the, uh, the conference All-Stars, made the local newspaper All-Stars here. So I think she was really going to crush it in her, in her final year last year in 2020 and uh, never even really uh, stepped on the field. And it's uh, – so that, that whole thing really – there was sometimes, obviously, uh, honestly, Kevin, I woke up sometimes 2 in the morning and, and the first thing I would think of was Kenna and ever since she was losing. I just, it bothered me so much. Uh, but there's nothing we could do. You know, obviously there were people that lost 
um, loved ones and lost jobs, lost houses, all these extremely important things. So, you know, everyone suffered loss or knows of someone that suffered loss uh, at different levels. And it was just a, just an odd year. Um, my, my company I worked for pulled us off the road as far as sales reps uh, pretty quickly. Uh, I think it was late March and uh, had us doing all the orders over the phones or, or through text and so forth instead of actually going into the accounts. Um, and that went on for a couple of months. Um, and it was, it was just, just weird, just weird being home so much, being, you know, just weird having my daughters here um, as much as they were. And my older daughter, Sarah, goes to Oswego State up in New York. And she was back, you know, she came back in mid-March and she was back for the whole summer because they never went back. So just, um, it was just a very odd, you know, a very odd time, especially I would say March through May last year. And then we, I don't know about you or other, you know, I started, I felt like I started to get used to it a little bit. And this was the new normal we were going to have to deal with at least for the rest of 2020. And, um, you know, obviously the weather gets better up here in Massachusetts. You're outside more, you're not cooped up in the house as much, but. Yeah, just a very just a very weird time, I guess is the best way to explain it. Now, are things starting to get back to normal for you? Um, to a point. I, I'm one of these people that I think we're going to be wearing masks for the rest of 2021. Yeah. Um, you know, even with the vaccinations picking up and so forth. I got my first shot a couple of weeks ago now. Um, I had my first one, my, excuse me, my second one, uh, first week in May. So by mid-May, they considered me fully vaccinated, right? But um, it's... Um, I, I just, it, they're, they're much more normal than they were this time last year. That's for sure. Um, you know, early April last year, everything was basically shut down. Like I said, I was working from home uh, and so forth. And now I see every account uh, just like I would pre-COVID. I see them every, account, every, uh, every week. I see each account um, and uh, business is kind of as usual. Um, the only difference is now, obviously, I'm wearing a mask every time I'm in and out of an account. And as soon as I get back into my car, to go to the next account, I've got two squirts of the sanitizer in my console and on my hands, and I'm on to the next one. So, um, but it's pretty pretty normal. Uh, and for my daughters, um, you know, they Sarah uh, Kenna is up outside of Boston uh, in her freshman year. She got a again. This kid couldn't really catch luck. She you know lost her senior year of softball. Then she lost her freshman season of soccer, huh. and now they decided to move soccer to the spring where she would now be playing softball. So she could have played both sports now in college, which was the plan. But because she was really recruited for soccer, which is amazing because she's actually better at softball than she is at soccer. But that just, I guess, shows how good she's at both. Um, she committed to soccer first. She's playing soccer in the spring while softball is playing. But the coaches understand she can't play both at the same time. So hopefully in the fall, things reset. And she'll do her soccer in this fall, her softball in the, in the spring, and, and get on a normal schedule. And my daughter, Sarah, the ice hockey player, they just completely canceled the whole season. Um, this past winter, there was nothing. The conference canceled everything up there. So um, she's actually, we talked and she talked to the coach. She's going to slow down her classes a little bit. And uh, so that she doesn't use, lose a year of eligibility uh, because she would have been going into her junior, junior season with hockey. Um, and, you know, now she would have been having to go right to a senior year. She's going to still have be able to play as a junior uh, next winter, which is really good because as I've told her, you know, college is really that last thing for her ice hockey career. You know, it's uh, and it's only four years and it goes quick and to get a year taken from her, I really didn't think was fair. Right. Yeah. I guess there is nowhere to go after, after that. Right. As far, I mean, there's, yeah, no she's, uh, she's, she's had um, some talks about playing in Europe. 
Um, okay. I think sweet Sweden or Switzerland. It begins with an S. Uh, one of those countries out there, uh, an old teammate of hers plays for, and they showed some interest in her. So she may be able to go there after graduation. That we've, we've established she's going to graduate first, and then she's free to go and, and go play there if she wants to for a couple of years. So, um, but yeah, it's really this, the college thing, college hockey was always her goal. Um, you know, since she started playing hockey as a kid and to have her go in and, and excel in her, in her freshman year, like she did and so forth. And then to have this happen uh, after a sophomore year is kind of a, kind of a bummer. So I'm just trying to work out the, the, that scheduling. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely, that's definitely rough for sure. And I'm sure rough on you as well as a, as a parent, because obviously you want, uh, you hate to see anything um, unpleasant happen with your kids. I know exactly what that feels like. So uh, you probably, you know, feel worse about it actually than, than she did. Um, I think so. <laughs> yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me ask you about the, the, the TV tapings. The very first ones uh, we alluded to it earlier that you weren't there for that, that first set of tapings, I think uh, took place in, I think it was in August, definitely at the end of the summer. Um, right. Was that tough for you knowing that we were starting up again? And um, obviously Nick Lendl uh, did a fantastic job. And as you said, thank God we have Nick Lendl and, they didn't have to call me into duty as the, you know, <laughs> I, they probably wouldn't have even called me as a third choice. I'm sure there's somebody else uh, they would have called, but uh, was that tough not to be able to, uh, to go to, to go to those tapings? Absolutely. It, it really was. Uh, it bothered me a lot. One of the reasons it bothered me a lot, first of all, I wanted to get back because we obviously, you know, we hadn't been together for five or six months and I wanted to see everybody and so forth. It was a big deal. Um, you know, obviously not only getting back to tape and television, but also bringing the pure championship back. Yep. Um, and that, that tournament was going to take place over that taping. The entire tournament was taking place over that taping. So I was missing the whole thing. And then um, the other thing that really bothered me about it too, was how, you know, how great ring of honor was with us um, through the beginning of the pandemic, through the middle of it, you know, everything uh, as far as uh, paying us what we were supposed to be paid. I mean, I was literally paid, the first of every month, the, what I would have been paid if I was working five or six events a month, you know, like, um, so that really bothered me. I, we had conversations with, with Ian, Ian uh, Riccoboni and Todd Sinclair through the summer last year. And I said, I feel so guilty. I'm like, I want to do something, you know, because I said they're paying us, which I completely appreciated. It was awesome uh, for them to do that. And I think everyone would have understood if they didn't, but the fact they did, I still don't think it got enough publicity that they went and did that. Yeah. Um, but I was, I just felt it was more of a feeling of guilt. Like, okay, they've been paying me for months. I'm staying home. I'm not doing anything. And now when we go back, I can't go back either because of my work schedule. Uh, it just didn't work out with the, uh, the lack of notice I had basically. So it was like, it just, it just added to my guilty feeling. And that's kind of when I, I tried to come up with some social media stuff. Like the draft of honor just came to me one day. Um, you know, I was watching Nesson here and they had a back-to-back, -back, an all-time Bruins draft and an all-time Red Sox draft from all players from history. And I said, I think I said to my daughter, Sarah, she was watching it with me. I'm like, how cool would this be to do for Ring of Honor with all of the talent we've had over the years? So something like that, I'm like, all right, at least I can contribute something, you know, something social media wise or whatever. But it was more a feeling of guilt um, than really anything else about missing, uh, missing August, August specifically. Yeah, that's a great point, too, about, uh, you know, the company doing what they did, taking care of everybody. It was, it, as you said, it probably should get more publicity. It's been talked about, but maybe not enough, that they took care of everyone, not just the talent, uh, but the employees, the independent contractors, the freelance people. Um, everybody was taken care of, uh, and no one had to worry about missing a paycheck. And, um, 
you know, that that's rare in this day and age. We know that not every wrestling company uh, did that. So, right. yeah, you got to really give kudos to, to Joe Koff and everybody there in Sinclair. And we're not just blowing smoke here. I mean, I think everyone is, is truly grateful um, from top to bottom. Like I said, from talent right on, you know, to uh, everybody in the office and, and everybody who works, um, whether it's independent contractor, freelancer, whatever. Uh, we were all still part of the family. And, um, Absolutely. And, you know, I, it, it has been written about a little bit, like I said, and I think you agree. It hasn't been put out there enough about what they did. But another thing that they did, which I don't think was mentioned much, and something that I didn't even know until I read it, was that, um, you know, we were originally going to have a, a women's tournament kickoff last spring. And um, they went and paid, you know, even the freelance talent Yep. That was booked for for that tournament for certain days. Whatever they booked, they booked them as if they worked those events that didn't even end up happening. So, um, yeah, just went. They went way above and beyond. And again, uh, yeah, we're not just blowing smoke. I'm, I'm I think my job's secure. Uh, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not looking to you know uh, kiss ass to hang on here. It just it's facts are facts, and they they uh, they did um, some unbelievable stuff for the talent. Like you said, all, all talent. Yeah. You know, whether it's in front of a camera, behind the camera, in an office, whatever. Well, I asked you about the reboot, the first set of tapings when we came back. Let me ask you about the, the last shows, which actually didn't happen, which was um, going to be anniversary weekend, the 18th anniversary show and uh, the past versus present show in Vegas. Uh, did you actually make it out to Vegas <laughs> and then have to come back? I did. I actually, um, I got the email uh, stating that the shows were canceled uh, halfway through my flight from Boston to Vegas. Yeah. And um, so that was, uh, and so then I had to kind of call some audibles too, because my daughters were flying out. Uh, they were on break. They were going to fly out for the weekend as well with me. Uh, but they were flying out like the day after me. Um, Cause they didn't start break till the next day. And I was like, Oh man, what, this is just going to be a, a mess. But Again, you know, it's uh, n nobody's uh, nobody's fault. Nobody's doing. It was. It's just. Uh, I'm glad. Looking back now, uh, certainly glad that the company made that decision uh, and took. Um, you know, I definitely didn't have it as bad as a guy like Slack. So I think flew from Australia and then turned around and flew right back to Australia. So uh, my my five hour flight from Boston, no big deal. So, um, but yeah, looking back now, thankfully the company made that decision. Uh, I'm sure it was a very, very tough decision to make, especially considering just the events they were. To call off events is probably, probably a tough decision anyway, but considering it was anniversary weekend, you know, we had um, it was a, the first show was a live pay-per-view, the anniversary show. Um, you know, there was a, I, I wouldn't want to have had to make that decision, um, certainly by myself or yeah. even maybe as part of a group. Um, so, but it was the right call looking back. Uh, I think that time at that time, um, I was like, "Yeah, why, is this really necessary?" You know, whatever. Yeah, it was damn necessary. If you look back now, yeah, uh, hindsight twenty twenty, it was absolutely the correct move. I agree. And at the time, I was thinking, I think you know, we all just wanted to like have the shows, you know. And it's yeah. like, it's like, man, why can't we just do it with no crowd or or whatever? But in hindsight, yes, I think it was absolutely the right decision to err on the side of caution and to do what we did afterwards, which is like, okay, let's take a step back. Let's kind of shut it down for a little bit and find new ways to engage with fans through social media and whatever platforms we have. And, um, and when it's safe to come back, we'll come back and, and uh, we'll do it the right way, which is being in a bubble. 
Um, so let me ask you about that. You've been in several of these bubbles now. And I've, I've asked, you know, pretty much every guest we've had on here since the bubble started, how they handled it. And, and some have said, you know, that it was just terrible and boring. And it was almost like being in jail. And others said, no, it was great. You know, I got to uh, have some quiet time and, and get some things, you know, get some reading done and things like that. How was it for you? So the first one, which is October, the first one for me, the second one for other people, uh, that was tough. But um, after that, every, one, every other one, I think, has become progressively easier. Uh, I have, I, first one, oh, my God. I way overpacked, like, snacks and food and whatever. I'm like, what? I'm looking at this, and I'm like, I don't eat this much. Like, what? what? But, I mean, little things like that, you know. But then I learned, okay, um, you know, download stuff on Netflix or HBO Max or whatever. And, and so I have stuff to stream. Um, and it was one day in December. It was actually, like, 55, 60 degrees when we were in Baltimore for a day. One of the days, you know, we're, we're in the bubble. But, you know, you can go for a walk outside as long as you have the mask on. Obviously, anytime we're in the hotel, we have the mask. You can go outside, go for a walk. I did that one day for like an hour just to get out a little bit um, and walk on. It's a very quiet area where the hotel is, so you don't see anybody and so forth. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's not as bad, um, not nearly as bad. The most recent one we had, um, it flew by for me. Um, so – it's, it's, I'm sure people, yeah, like you said, you probably hear differing opinions and, and so it's like anything. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Some people are probably neutral. I'm much more neutral than I, I thought I would have been. I thought it was going to be torture and it really isn't. You make use of your time. I, I bring stuff to work on as well. Um, you know, I write different things. I, I prepare um, for the upcoming tapings, you know, you know, a couple of days later and so forth because we're taping matches all day. So it's a long, like 10 hour day for me at the arena each day. So I might as well use that time to do some prep work and that sort of stuff. So I, I really, really don't mind it now. So one of the other things I've talked about with the talent is ring rust. A lot of these uh, guys and gals hadn't been in the ring for months at a time. Uh, some of them didn't, you know, some had a ring to work out in uh, before they started back. Others did not have that access and were literally stepping back into the ring uh, for the first time in televised matches. Is there such a thing as, for lack of a better term, microphone rust? <laughs> did you feel rusty at all, not having done ring announcing for so many months? I did, absolutely. When I got in there in October, the first few matches, I didn't feel right. Uh, and I'm sure no one would notice it except me. You know, and it's like, you know, there was no announcing screw up or anything like that, but I just didn't feel comfortable um, at all. And I'm like, ooh, this is, uh, and especially because, uh, some of the talent I was not familiar with, you know, some of the pure, pure uh, tournament guys that, that were holdovers and, 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 have, you know, really Utah and Freddie a and so forth that I had never announced before. And now they were uh, part of the ring of honor crew and I'm announcing them. So that made it a little uncomfortable for me too. Um, but it was, uh, it's, it's weird. Uh, I don't think in October, my first time back for six, seven months, whatever it was, I made any mistakes, but I did. Uh, in December, uh, <laughs> the magic of uh, post-production, I, um, I called Jonathan Gresham, I think twice, uh, the uh, TV champion instead of the pure champion. Like, and I didn't even know I did it once, and then I knew I did it the second time, and production's then in my earpiece saying, you know, we got to redo that, obviously. And, and again, without me publicizing this, no one would know it watching the episodes because they do such a good job. 
But I remember somebody actually came up to me uh, during uh, one of the breaks in between matches and says, are you drunk? <laughs> and I'm like, no, like, I, no, why? He said, because you never make mistakes and you just call Gresham the TV champion instead of the pure champion twice. So it's weird. Like I, um, I, I do, I think I do the exact same job, um, the exact same focus, but I don't think I would make that, I would make that mistake if it was a live broadcast or there were fans sitting in the front row and so forth. I don't wow. think I would, so it's just a weird thing to me um, how, how, it's not it's and to me it's not even having the luxury of editing because i hate the fact that production has to go back and fix something i did so um it's just just a w very weird dynamic to me it didn't happen i don't think in uh in march so hopefully i got got over that bug well and you know you just made another good point too about there's no fans in the front row and again i've talked to the talent about that because obviously in this business as everyone knows you know working the crowd and you know crowd reactions and, and every, that's all such a big part of it. Uh, but I guess, you know, for a ring announcer looking out and seeing just nothing but empty seats has to be a little bizarre too. There's not even seats. That's right. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's just really the ring that I'm looking down out of, uh, in the, you know, our, our barricades and, and then it's pretty much screened. I mean, Thankfully, these screens, I mean, anyone that watches our TV, which I'm sure everyone that's listening to this watches our TV, um, our production team does such an awesome job with the in-arena production. Um, and it, it looks awesome, uh, I think, with, with our setup that we, uh, they debuted back at the Pure Tournament. So, uh, but yeah, it is, it's weird. Um, it wasn't the first time I did it. We actually, uh, you know, we aired them late last year, I think. So we taped a few matches. In Vegas that weekend, that anniversary was called off uh, just right. to get a yeah, just to get a feel for things and see how an empty arena type thing would look and feel and everything. So um, I did it that weekend. That was odd. That was definitely odd. Um, it's not as odd to me now because I probably announced I don't know 120 matches now uh, in that setting in the bubble by the time you know 100 120 matches. So um, it's it's not as odd to me now, but I'm definitely ready to uh, see some of our loyal fans sitting in the first several rows and, uh, and saying hi and hearing their uh, energy. I'm ready. Yeah. What a rush that's going to be right for everybody. Definitely. For yep, the fans, definitely. for you, for the talent, for everybody associated with it to, to, to be back in that setting again. I mean, the energy is probably, it's going to be off the charts. I think we're all absolutely going to be awesome. Well, let me ask you another uh, sort of a, I guess a broader question, but, Obviously, you've been around Ring of Honor almost since day one. Uh, you've seen peaks, valleys, highs, lows, whatever you know terminology you want, you want to use. But let's talk about your thoughts right now. Um, and again, not blowing smoke or anything like that. I just want to get you around. I mean, you're in a position, Bobby, where you could speak your mind. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, the current product as it is right now? We, again, we kind of hit the reset button when we came back with the Pure Tournament, kind of took a little different approach to things. Uh, than I think anything else that's happening right now in in the industry. Uh, wh what do you think about what what we're doing right now? Yeah, and yeah, it's a, it is true. I'm very uh, I'm very honest when I give answers about you know as long as the question is a, a respectful question is not disparaging the company when I do interviews or whatever. I, I'll always answer the questions honestly, and I'll even rewind a little bit further back to um, when the guys left to go to AEW and. I remember that weekend and the last that night in Philadelphia. And I remember sitting there. And at that point, it had been like 15 years, 16 years for me in Ring of Honor. 
I remember sitting there and being a little bit concerned because I didn't know what was going to be next for us as, as a promotion, as a company. Um, hindsight, again, I should not have been concerned because uh, as I'll get to it in a minute, uh, my, my concerns quickly were erased. But um, I, that to me was a very uncertain time. And I, I just didn't know what, to, what was going to happen with us um, because of not only the amount of people that were leaving all at one time to go start that company, but also um, the, their popularity and you know, the quality of their work as well inside the ring and their personalities and, and so forth. So um, I remember leaving there that night being like, uh-oh, are we going to be okay? I don't think I even said anything to anyone about it. It was more just me thinking to myself. And then um, the first event after that we had, it was Atlanta. And that was the night that Jeff Cobb debuted. Yeah. That was the, the night Lifeblood uh, came together. And I remember after the show, I spoke to someone in creative and I said, you know, I didn't know what to expect. Even me as a ring announcer, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what to expect, but I said, man, we are going to be just fine. And he said, absolutely. And, and it's, it's been that way. It's just continued on that way. Um, and then, you know, fast forwarding now from, from that to, you know, shutting down and then going back to the pure tournament. I enjoyed it as much as I think every other fan watching it did, because as you mentioned, I wasn't there. I had no idea what was going on as I was watching this each week um, in the watch along parties. And it was uh, to see, like I said, not only in, a, in arena production that our crew took care of, but, you know, the fresh talent we brought in our mainstay talent that was there to come out and to give rebirth to the pure title in that tournament, which to me should have and, and did get rave reviews. Um, was just, I was like, Oh man, we have nothing to worry about. I'm like, I, I've kind of learned now ever since that don't even question whether we're <laughs> going to bounce, bounce back from something or we're, we're not going to bounce back, whatever. I, I said recently, you know, I've seen over all my years in ring of honor, we've been the coolest kids on the block, you know, that everyone thinks we're the hip, uh, the hip crew that everyone really wants to be a part of. And there's been some times we've been a little bit down and when people don't pay as much attention. But the one thing that's always been a key uh, to the success of Ring of Honor is the in-ring in action. Since, since even before I started, when their first event in 02, that's what always, everyone always talked about, um, was the in-ring action. So no matter what the roster, no matter what obstacles, no matter if we're the cool kids at the time or not, and then become the cool kids again, which has happened several times, um, it's, Ring of Honor just per, uh, perseveres every single time, and the talent always comes through. So, um, I, to me, the, the future is bright again. It's, uh, it really is. It's, I love some of the little um, – some of the additions that we've added to the roster. I didn't mean to say little. I mean, you know, one, one person here, one person there. It's not like a big overhaul or anything. It's just kind of adding to the roster. And, um, and bringing some new talent in, uh, like we just did with Violence Unlimited, you know, some of the, those members and so forth, which I think caught a lot of fans off guard and surprised them in a good way. So it's, uh, we just keep rolling, man. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I'm with you on that, Bobby. I, I, I shared your, I guess, maybe concern um, at the end of 2018 when we knew all those guys were leaving at once. And, you know, I had always heard this thing. You know, I hadn't been around Ring of Honor that long. I've been working with the company since, I think, 2016. I wasn't there during the Brian Danielson and CM Punk and Samoa Joe days, obviously. But I had always heard and knew the history of 
you know, those guys leave as great as they are, other guys eventually step up. And you keep hearing that and you know that that's been the history, but you're like, okay, but that doesn't mean it's going to still be that history. You don't, until it happens again, you don't really know. And in all honesty, you know, it, it did hurt when those guys left. Um, I think, like you said, we no longer became, there were new cool kids on the block, you mm-hmm. know, and it wasn't, it wasn't ring of honor at that point. And there was a transition period, but I know that first night on, on their last night, uh, I should say was the first night for PCO and yes. Rody King. And, you know, we brought in Bandito and Haskins and Tracy Williams and Roosh and Dragon Lee. And then it's like, okay, you hear like, well, when people leave, other people will take those spots. And then it was true. I mean, it gave as great as those guys were. And as much as we would have loved for them to stay, when they leave, you do out of necessity have to bring new people in or people that are existing on the roster get other opportunities now to maybe, you know, take some of those spots. And, and all of a sudden, everything's freshened up. Maybe it wasn't right. how you would have chosen to freshen things up, but out of necessity, you have to, and you do. And suddenly it feels like there's a fresh coat of paint on the product. And yes, there will be a transition period. And this is not new to Ring of Honor. Other companies have gone through these transitions as well, where talent leaves, new talent comes in. But as we stand right now, looking at this roster, I know my opinion is from top to bottom, it's never been as deep. I mean, we've always had quality. But now we have quality and quantity. And you're seeing people like, for example, Bandito, who can go anywhere, has had offers from every major company and has decided he's going to sign with Ring of Honor and then re-sign with Ring of Honor. Session Moth Martina was on this podcast talking about how she had offers from Ring of Honor and WWE on the same day and had to make a choice and chose Ring of Honor. So I see. I think what you're seeing now is uh, it's, it's what – I guess Joe Koff always kind of envisioned, which is Ring of Honor is, it's a destination for some, you know, everybody has different goals. For some people now, Ring of Honor is a destination. It's not a stepping stone or, uh, you know, a stop along the way. And I think that really speaks to just the job that everyone's done in the front office and the creative, that the, the, this talent, this, this roster of talent that's assembled right now. I mean, to me, you know, it's second to none. I mean, you could say there are, it's as talented as any. I don't know that there's any more talented than what we have right now. Yeah. And I've learned now to not be concerned anymore. You know, so I was concerned, like what we alluded to at the end of 2018. Well, didn't need to be concerned when it came to uh, the end result. And then the pure tournament, even though I wasn't there, just like, okay, it's been how many months, you know, uh, is there going to be a ton of ring rust? And I mean, just the product that was put out there. I've seen it so many times over the, I think the thing's, that that concerned me the most, Kevin, the, the 2018 was the quantity of people leaving at the same time. Right. So I hadn't seen I hadn't seen that before. So every other time I'd seen someone leave, or like I think Danielson and Nigel left at the same time or about the same time, but everyone else, you know, Punk kind of went by himself uh, and so forth. Um, the only other time um, I can really remember that happening, um, multiple people might have been Danielson and Nigel. So, but it's always been the same thing, like you said someone else gets the opportunity to step up, which means then someone else gets the opportunity to come into Ring of Honor and kind of show their, their worth. Um, you know, Roderick Strong, as great of a professional wrestler as he is, wasn't always the Roderick Strong towards the end of his ROH career as far as, um, you know, the marquee matches he had and so forth, as far as, you know, his spot on the card or whatever. But he was one specifically 
Um, he was just so good. And, you know, this guy left. Okay, now this one steps up. And every time, it almost like he, he went another step up the ladder. Next thing you know, he's one of the main event guys, and he had a T-shirt saying Mr. ROH because he was Mr. ROH, you know? Um, but it, that, So that was the only difference back in 2018 was the quantity of people leaving. But, again, like you said, you just rattled off the names um, of people that we brought in. It's like, okay, why did I even question? You know, why did I even get worried? that, um, you know, that we may be, may be in trouble because there was, it, it didn't even, it wasn't even for one night. It was literally our first event after that, um, after that Philly show. When we were in Atlanta, I left that arena that night. I'm like, we're all good, man. We're all set. Yeah. Well, then you got people, you know, chomping at the bit like Shane Taylor, who's who's been in the Ring of Honor system and is just, you know, he's so ready for, for uh, a more prominent spot. And again, there's only so many, you know, everybody can't be in the main event, you know? So like when people move on, the main event slots open up and, you know, who's going to, who's going to um, seize that opportunity and make the most of it. And, and you want Taylor, people. Yeah. yeah. Shane Taylor's a perfect example, but yeah. you want people to have that attitude that they want to be a top guy. They want to be in the main event exactly. because that op- if they have it and they are that good, like Shane Taylor, that time will come. Yep. And when the time comes, they need to make the most of it. And he certainly has perfect example. Yeah, I think it goes to show, too, um, that you can't be in Ring of Honor unless you're really good, just to begin with. You can't get in the <laughs> dojo system. So, like, again, and that's another reason why we probably shouldn't be concerned because, you know, when spots open up, you've got guys already on the card who've been through the system, and, and they're here for a reason. They're here because they're good and they can go. And, and get, when they get that opportunity, they show it. I mean, look at a young guy like Eli Isom. You know, another perfect example, I think, of a guy who, you know, he's only been in the dojo system a few years. But, you know, I would think he's a guy who's who's on the verge of really doing special things. And he's getting an opportunity to do that now and show what he can do. If if, uh, you know, we were doing a fantasy draft now of, say, the ROH roster as a whole. Like you said, it's not a, doesn't have, only have quality. It has quantity now. And if someone said to me, OK, you're drafting now, but the year you're actually going to put them in the game on your roster, basically, and say 2022 or the second half of 2022, I would pick Eli Eisen first. Ooh. Right now, oh, absolutely. Wow. I would, I would, pick, I would pick Eli Eisen first. That's how much potential I think he has, and he hasn't even sniffed it yet. Yeah. Oh, there's definitely a ton of potential there. I'd, I'd have to give that thought about, you know, who else is on the roster and everything. Oh, you'll at- criticize. You would criticize my picks anyway, just like you did in the fantasy <laughs> draft. You like to slam, man. It's a chance you get. You're lucky I don't see you. You're still sore about that, aren't you? Very, very. It, I replay it, it all the Yeah, what, I replay it all the time. What Wasn't it the fans who voted, though, that Ian Riccoboni put the best roster together? I mean, that wasn't anything that I did, right? That was the fans, the people. Yes, and wink, wink, the fans also voted that Sledge was the best newcomer when he hadn't even had a match yet that aired. <laughs> Come on, man. People are stuffing the boxes. <laughs> All right, well, it's good to see you've moved past that and uh, you're not holding any, any grudges. <laughs> no grudge, no grudge. No grudge. Okay, but it, well, hey, let's give credit. The draft of honor was your baby, it was your idea, and it was a great idea. So props to you. Even though you didn't draft the best team, according to the people <laughs> – According to the people, uh, yes. it was a great idea. So we would have never had that draft had it not been for you. Nah, I'd still prefer not be my idea and to win, but that's okay. <laughs> okay.
All right, well, we're going to take our first break. Uh, we're having a very fun and spirited conversation with the voice of Ring of Honor, Bobby Cruz, and we'll have more of it right after this. This is the prestigious one, Joe Hendry, here to tell you about shophonor.com. That's the new location to go to for all things Ring of Honor merchandise. We've got an amazing selection with the prestigious Ring of Honor logos, but also we've got merchandise for all your favorite Ring of Honor stars. So go support the company, go support your favorite wrestlers, shophonor.com. I'll see you there. Hey, Honor Nation. Check out the new and improved Ring of Honor shop at shophonor.com. Shophonor.com turns ordinary online shopping into a truly immersive experience. Our new mobile-friendly design is enhanced for better navigation and search. The recommended for you feature will showcase products based on your unique preferences, or find exactly what you want as you filter any category by your favorite wrestler, size, or color. Go to shophonor.com now. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is the voice of Ring of Honor, Bobby Cruz. Uh, here, long-awaited appearance, episode 53, but who's counting other than Bobby, of course. Um, let's go back to the very beginning, Bobby. I like to get people's origin stories. Uh, I always find them interesting, how people became a fan of professional wrestling. How did you discover it, and about what age were you? Age must have been around 10, I think, um, nine or 10. So, and I just remember, um, I don't even think like a friend told me about it. I just was flipping through channels one day. And of course, back in say 1983, there weren't many channels to flip, but flipping through the channels and, um, and a cabinet to find wrestling. It was on a local Boston station, uh, every Saturday morning at 11. Um, and, and I just, I got hooked on it. Like so many of us, I'm sure. Um, and I was much, much more a, a WWF fan than any other company by far. Matter of fact, my order of preference was like WWF. Um, then I think world-class, they were on like 11 o'clock on Saturday nights. And then glow was on right after them at midnight. So that was like the, the uh, late night double header, uh, was world-class and glow. And, uh, so those are the three I watched like NWA stuff. Um, you know, until maybe I was like mid teens, we didn't even have cable in my town. Um, so we finally got cable, of course, Superstation TBS came with it. And I started to watch that. I had known some friends a town over, um, that had cable way before we did in our town and they used to watch it every Saturday night. So I would check that out and stuff, but I was so partial to WWF. It wasn't even really, really close. And, um, I remember a couple of times my parents said, yeah, you're not going to be able to watch this anymore because I was taking it so literally and was concerned with somebody got hurt. I forgot who it was. And I was asking my parents about it. And they, I'm sure were laughing at me saying this, why are you so concerned about something, someone who really didn't get hurt? But um, yeah, that was, uh, that was the start of it right there. Who was your first favorite wrestler? Do you remember? Rocky Johnson. Rocky Johnson was my favorite and still is to this day. I, Loved watching Rocky Johnson wrestle. I thought he was awesome. I look back now and, and I watch uh, stuff on YouTube or whatever, and I'm like, Rocky Johnson was awesome. He should have been a world champion. Like, he was so good. He was charismatic. The stuff he would do in the ring with the shuffle and yeah. the, quick, uh, the quick punches. He had the best drop kick I had ever seen. Well, maybe until Rhett Titus. Um, and then, uh, you know, just the, the athleticism, everything he had. He was, he was awesome. I remember 
when he and Tony Atlas won the tag team championship, uh, my mother had a hair appointment at this uh, salon she always went to in the little town I lived in. And, uh, and it was right, w- right when that match was going to be airing. So I got the salon owner to put that on. And I remember when Albano cracked the Samoan over the head with that. That chair looked stiff as hell. It looked like a very wooden chair that went right over his head. And he was and wearing that, it around his neck. Yeah, he was yeah. wearing it for the pinfall. Um, the, the three count was made. I just remember jumping around that salon with like three other ladies sitting in chairs, getting their hair colored or whatever. And I didn't care because I was so happy like, that Rocky Johnson was a champion. That was, you mentioned something that uh, was pretty interesting, though, about world-class championship wrestling, obviously based out of Texas. For some reason, they expanded. Like one of the first places they went was into Boston, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, it must have been because – they, I remember them being on for a long time. Uh, yeah. Like I said, it was, I was always Saturday nights at 11 uh, on a Boston station, and, and they were, it was a consistent every Saturday night. I just, just remember they were on all the time. So that must have been one of their early uh, syndication expansions or something because it was like clockwork. Did they actually tour? Did they come to Boston live? You know what? I don't remember that. Um, I don't remember that they did. I want to say, and I could be completely off on this, that they came to Providence. Okay. But, um, I, you know, we'd have to check with a historian on that. I might have to check on that one. Uh, but maybe it may very well have been Boston. So when you were going to live shows, were you going to the Boston Garden? I, I went to the the Providence Civic Center much more than Boston Garden. I think I went like once or twice for WWF at Boston Garden, but I, I went to Providence. So I, where I'm in Massachusetts, but I'm like a half hour from Providence, but I'm like an hour from Boston. So okay. um, Providence is actually closer for me. And my grandparents lived in a Massachusetts town that was phew, like three minutes from the Rhode Island border. That's how close to, so it was like 10 minutes to Providence. So I would spend a lot of weekends at their house and, um, and, you know, they would just drop me off with a friend or something to go to the Providence Civic Center. And that's back in the day when they were running all those arenas once a month. So right. it was like literally, you know, they, they would announce the next event and some of the matches that same night, which is unheard of these days. So that was, um, that was really cool. I used to go there every single month in Providence. That, that building um, is, is my goal to announce one match in, basically. So I think when my career – because I went as a kid and I was very close to my grandfather, and he took me a few times. So that building, which is now known as the Dunkin' Donuts Center, very corporate, um, that is, like, on my bucket list. So I think when I'm done announcing, I think maybe my, one of my last things I ever do uh, with a microphone is to announce one match in that building. That would be very cool. Um, it would be very cool, and hopefully that will happen down the road. I'm not ready to do that yet. All right, Bobby. Well, let's go into now. How, let, let's fast forward a few years. Uh, how do you break into the business? Was it something that you always wanted to do? Uh, did you have any illusions of actually being a wrestler? How, how does this happen? Mm, never wanted to be a wrestler. Uh, always uh, was v- very interested in the production side of things as far as the music and the, and the announcing and so forth. Um, especially as the eighties progressed and especially late eighties where like WWF theme music became much more of a thing, you know, they put out albums and so forth. And I had to have that and like do my own introductions to these guys and so forth. So, um, I, uh, I, 
decided I wanted to be a ring announcer. I didn't want to really be anything else. Um, probably around towards the end of my high school life. Um, when in high school, baseball was much more my thing. I was a captain. I had a very, very good junior year. Um, and, but I played basketball, but I was much more limited in basketball. All I really wanted to do in basketball was just stand there and take three pointers. I really didn't want to do anything else. So, um, my senior year, um, the English teacher, my English teacher, uh, was a, uh, who I had had my sophomore year was legendary basketball coach around here at the high school. I went to old Rochester regional high school. His name was Bob Hone or is Bob. Hone. He's still here. His name's Bob Hone. Uh, and he literally won 500 plus games as a high school coach, won a state championship in a little high school, um, playing on the floor of the Boston garden, the old Boston garden. Um, I think it was the old Boston garden. Well, let's just say it was. So, um, and so he came up to me and he said, Hey, the, the PA announcer was, uh, like a janitor or a custodian, I guess you call them, right? A custodian. And he was retiring. So they needed a PA announcer. And he said, I know you always wanted to try public address announcing. He's like, do you want to, you want to give it a shot? So I had a decision to make because, uh, boys basketball played the same night as girls basketball. One would play away, one would play home. So I couldn't do both. And I made the decision to, um, to forego my senior year of playing basketball or sitting there on the bench in basketball and, uh, and, and kicking off my announcing career. It was probably the best decision I ever made. Um, I also did some play by play work for the, like the local cable access. So I was able to do some of that. I did some, um, some hockey games so forth. Um, so it was, it was, that was the start of me announcing. Um, I graduated high school in 92 and I, and then in late 93, early 94, um, I had gotten some addresses of some local independent, uh, wrestling promotions from around here, uh, and sent them letters from before email and the old snail mail and, uh, expressed an interest in wanting to learn to be a ring announcer. And, um, one of, one of the people that got back to me was actually Killer Kowalski in his school up in Malden, which is right outside of Boston. And so I went up there one night, met with Walter, and uh, he, I think he wanted to charge me like $3,000. And I'm like, I think this is a little much to learn how to be a ring announcer. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and I didn't say that, but he's like, he's like, you need to learn how to bump. And I'm like, I don't, what is a bump? I don't even know what a bump is. You know what I mean? He said, sometimes – my announcers got thrown out of the ring. I said, okay, great. Yep. Okay. Nice meeting you. And that was, that was it. And uh, fortunately another uh, company, which went by the name of new England wrestling and then Yankee pro wrestling. And then uh, today is known as top rope promotion. It's been around like 40 years. They, um, the owner of that company called me and, and they used to run events in new Bedford mass and fall river mass, which is right near me here on the South coast. And, they were having an event that weekend. They actually had an injured wrestler doing their ring announcing. So they were looking for a ring announcer and he invited me to go down to the shows that week. They give me two or three matches and, um, and take a look at me. So that was my first event was the spring of 1994. And maybe this place will ring a bell to ring of honor fans, especially recently. It was at the police athletic league hall in fall river, Massachusetts. Ding, ding, maybe from our anniversary here event with uh, that battle with Matt Taven and Vincent recently. That was uh, that building and um, really, really cool building, really cool atmosphere. I think at that time they were running it every two weeks 
And I literally, I did a couple of matches that day. And after it was over, they said, okay, you're the ring announcer. So I, that, that was the start of my uh, ring announcing career. And, and I did some, some booking there too. Um, and had announced all over New England, every state, New England, and um, just for maybe a couple uh, different companies, basically stayed with my home company. And it um, didn't even branch out of um, didn't even branch out of New England until uh, 2001, I think, when I met Steve Carino for the first time. Ironically, well, I'm going to get to Steve Carino in a second, but I'm just amazed you had an opportunity to train with the legendary Killer Kowalski, and you passed it up. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, yeah, he wanted to train me as a wrestler. Like, he wanted to train me as a wrestler first. You know, and then I'd be a ring announcer. But the other thing is, too, like, Walter had two ring announcers that had been with him for years, two older guys. So, like, I would have been third string, probably, where this other company I had a chance to take over right away as the, sure. as the top guy. Yeah. Um, so that was part of it. But, yeah, I didn't get the thing with uh, Walter. I, mean, I, I ended up – we joked about it years later. I did so many events with Walter years later. Uh, he would always um, – for this promo- other promotion I would work for, he would always be, like, the special guest appearance – uh, once in a while, he would referee a match or something. But uh, sometimes he would literally just do the music from the table. Um, and he would be sitting right next to me. And um, what a great guy. What an amazing guy. So uh, if, if I didn't get to know him so well after, I probably would have regretted that I didn't uh, take him up on his training offer. But um, the fact that I did get it and I didn't have to pay $3,000 was, uh, was pretty good. Well, we know that Todd Sinclair uh, did learn how to take bumps. So, I don't know. Maybe Todd is just tougher. Than you <laughs> I, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know where you're going, Kevin. Um, that's, that's fine. I'm just saying, I, I, Todd, Todd didn't want to be a wrestler. He, only, he wanted to be a referee. But he did, he did learn how to take bumps. Well, uh, I, certainly, I certainly can understand why someone who wanted to be a referee would be necessarily – would have to train as a wrestler slash learn how to take bumps. I'm not so sure about a ring announcer. So uh, that's probably where the, the, uh, the disconnect came from. But as anyone who's really watched our pay-per-views over the past several years, Bobby Cruz can take a bump. So it's okay. I was going to say you have for sure. Yes. Yes. It's okay. Okay. But you were not, but you, but you weren't properly trained to take bumps. <laughs> right. You're just out there winging. <laughs> I wasn't trained to be a ring announcer either. I just taught myself. <laughs> <laughs> so so you, honestly you didn't have um you never like uh went to like uh public speaking classes or broadcasts no. or anything like that it was because you have that what i call that that broadcast voice like you have that ring announcer voice um is, it, is that something you kind of always had is that something you develop or i think it i think it started off as a um uh, imitation of howard finkel um, and then I'm like, oh, this, I can't. Um, and I have a funny story about this later when we can talk about a, a WWE thing. But um, uh, I, so I'm like, I'm not, I don't want to try and imitate Howard Finkel. I mean, he's the best ever, but you don't want to imitate someone. You know what I mean? It's like right. Rod Carew got, you know, 3,000 plus hits and had, but I don't want to replicate his weird batting stance, you know? So um, it's kind of the same thing with Pat. I kind of, so I, I've, I had adjusted it early in my, earlier in my career to not be so, Howard and um, yeah, just kind of taught myself, tweaked myself. I mean, I did pick up, you know, watching Howard for so many years. I picked up different um, professional stuff that I pointers that I thought he uh, 
that I, I should pick up on um, different things that he did or didn't do in certain things, in certain situations, certain way he did, ways he did announcements and so forth. So um, I say I taught myself, but he, I, I also learned very much from, from watching him. Let me ask you this. Um, and we're going to get to how you got in the ring of honor in a second, but I want to ask you about just it, as the ring announcer in ring of honor, has anyone ever given you any direction as far as um, we want you to do it this way or don't do it that way? Because, and the reason I'm asking is I, I don't know if you, you know, we mentioned Justin Roberts earlier. I don't know if you read his book. I, I, I read his book and he mentions how, you know, he had certain, there were certain guys in WWE. He would, ha- he would do a certain like signature thing, the way he announced them. And that it was kind of, he was like basically told, don't do that. Like don't, <laughs> don't, don't stand out. Just, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, which makes no sense to me. Um, did you ever, were you just given any, uh, were you ever given any direction like that? Like, Hey, just play it straight. Don't, don't be playing up certain names or anything like that. No, I, I have to say everyone that I've dealt with, uh, as far as like a position of power, you know, booking, creative, whatever, no one has ever micromanaged me or, or, or tried to control me or anything like that. I think part of it is I've never tried to be the focal point. Um, obviously a ring announcer has a, an important role and so forth, but I've never tried to make it about me or go so far over the top or, you know, do something stupid to stand out. Um, so I think that's part of it, but whether it's been Gabe or Adam Pierce or, or Hunter or whoever, I've never, um, I've never had anyone um, criticize me or, um, you know, critique something or try to get me to change anything. It's actually been the opposite. I remember one time when, when Gabe was still booking, I, we had a show in uh, Edison, New Jersey, and I walked in, and he said, hey, I want you to start announcing the tag teams differently. And I'm like, what do you mean? And so like, the, the example was the Carnage crew, right? Loke and DeVito, the Carnage crew. So I would always say Loke and DeVito, the Carnage crew. He says, I want you to say the, the Carnage crew of Loke and DeVito. And I, I said, okay. And I walked away and I'm going over it in my mind. I'm announcing it over in my mind a few times. And I'm like, this sounds stupid. <laughs> like this, this doesn't even, I can't even like hammer the name, you know, to give it any emphasis or anything like that. I said, this is really not, I said, I don't know where this came from, but I, it's not good. I don't like it at all. I li- So I went back to Gabe like 10 minutes later. I said, hey, listen, I'm playing this over in my head. I think it's going to sound terrible. And he looked at me, he says, okay, do it the way you did it. So it was like, that was one of the only times where I even came up about doing something differently. And 10 minutes later, I had it switched back because I just didn't think that was the right way to do it. And he trusted me to be like, okay, then just go back to the way you were doing it. So um, I've been really fortunate with all the quote unquote bosses that I've had at Ring of Honor that people just let me do my thing. Yeah, I think there's something cool as a fan having a ring announcer who does have a certain style that, you know, to me, if you can easily imitate the ring announcer, like that's a good thing. You know, he has a distinctive style. To me, it just adds to the, the whole experience or just the whole uh, brand uh, of, of the show. Um, I, you know, and I know in WWE, a lot of times it was like, hey, you don't want to, you know, you're the ring announcer, know your place, don't, don't do that. Uh, but I, I think that's totally the wrong thing. Like I think a very distinguishable voice, uh, certain, you know, t- Tony Chimmel doing the rated R superstar. I love that. Yeah, I remember uh, you mentioned Justin. I remember one of the nights, and I'm sure we'll get to it, but one of the nights I was at WWE, um, he was the ring announcer for the the relaunch of ECW, and they were having an Extreme Rules match. 
and uh, he he hammered it like he, you know, extreme rules like he would, right? And uh, which I think I I agree with you. I think it's great. You know, he's not trying to. I was not trying to up show you know show up anybody or anything like that. It's just right. It's just that you know it's it's that's a different kind of match. If you do that for a normal match, it's gonna, it's gonna sound like an idiot. But the fact that it was like the main event of say of that TV episode of ECW, and it was an extreme rules match. And I remember watching on TV a week or two later, and they had another one, and he just basically said it would be contested under Extreme Rules, and I'm like, oh, they neutered him. Yep. I'm like, I knew it, I knew they were gonna do that, and they neutered him. And it's yeah, it's I don't get that either. We've had discussions. Justin and I have had many discussions uh, over the years about uh, ring announcing, the art of ring announcing, so forth, and different things. And obviously, he was completely micromanaged there, and I've never had really. Never had to go through that in my career, so I feel very fortunate. One of the ring announcers I grew up with uh, watching WWF wrestling, and then later he became uh, the ring announcer in the NWA and WCW, was uh, Gary Gary Michael Capetta. And Wrestling fans! <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> if you hear Gary's voice, I think the first thing you would say is, man, that that's not a voice for ring announcing. Like, it just – I don't know. He had this – well, anybody who's heard Gary Capetta, they, they know what I'm talking about. But again, I don't know. His voice was so unique that I thought it worked. And it was like another one of those things that was very easy to imitate. And like my friends and I, when we were young, we used to imitate Gary Michael Capetta all the time. Like we would do this <laughs> at school and introduce each other, you know, during lunchtime or whatever. And it was just, you know, I'm your ring announcer, Gary yeah. Michael Capetta. I mean, so I, to me, I, I, love, I, think I love ring announcers that um, – they're distinctive and you just know them right away. And I think you've got your own style, Bobby, to where like, okay, that's Bobby Cruz. Like, you know, that's a good thing. Well, I think my GMC impression is better than yours, but that's okay. We'll do well, that I, one day. We'll, well, we'll I, have a GMC off. Was that, was that your best one? Cause I didn't think it was really good. I mean. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm going to hold on to it. I'm gonna, okay. I'm not going to use the best one today. That was just, uh, that was just me throwing it in there, you know, kind of, you know, I don't want to talk over you, but um. <laughs> So no, absolutely, absolutely. Gary's voice works. He did it for years and years, and he worked for like all the major companies. So um, it definitely worked. And uh, yeah, as another guy, right, was just was around for years, and well, I say was as a ring announcer. Obviously, right. Gary's still yes. well with us. He is um, still around. Yes, yeah. I've, I've seen his one man show live. It's very good. Yes, man. yes. And uh, so uh, another one that just had a great career. Uh, did WWF. Uh, WWF, uh, AWA, uh, like I said, WCW. He was the original, um, really, the, the real, the ring announcer that WCW when they really started cranking. He was the one they used before David Pender took over. So, um, yeah, I agree. I, I, obviously, I have a soft spot in my heart for ring announcers, um, especially if, they, if I consider them to be good. Uh, and I, I feel like we're almost connecting on a level here. It's scaring me a little. Because you actually pay attention to ring announcers and so forth, and you do. Um, and yeah, it's it's. I thought maybe I was one of the very few that in the world that did. So it's cool. But you know what? I, I didn't do my best Gary Michael uh, Capetta impression either. So um, well, save it, I'll, save it. Okay, I was gonna say I'll, I'll 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 lay it on you right now if you want. No, no, I'm gonna say when I'm back for episode. Let's see, I'm on fifty three for the first time. So when I'm back on episode two seventy six, then we'll yeah. do our competitors. Well, I'm glad you didn't say one oh six because I was gonna tell you that's probably a little soon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, that's why I went way past that. <laughs> All right. Well, we've hinted at this several times uh, during this conversation. We've mentioned Steve Carino. 
longtime Ring of Honor fans will remember uh, Steve Carino having a heel announcer back in, I guess, well, 2003? Was that when it yes. started? How yes. did that come about? It was the old AOL Instant Messenger. Uh, Carino. So I met Carino while I was announcing and booking for that my home company up here. It was right at the end of ECW, and we brought him in as, quote-unquote, a name to work up here as a draw. And um, I was announcing the event that night as well as booking it, and he um, afterwards said, you know, I really liked your announcing. He, and he was running shows once a month on Sunday nights in Pottstown, Pennsylvania. Now, I will say this. As much as I appreciate uh, Steve bringing me to Pottstown, Pennsylvania, and everything that's happened in my career after that, which we'll cover, uh, I hope I never again see a sign that says Pottstown, Pennsylvania. What a hellhole. What a drive from hell. Oh, I well, there, goes, hellhole, the, there, but... there goes our Pottstown, Pennsylvania demographic. They're not going to No, I mean, not, not, not hellhole in that way. I mean, hellhole as far as just like getting there. I mean, literally, okay. I should have just said a, a hellish drive or whatever. For me, it was, there was no easy way. It was New Jersey Turnpike for hours, and it took me hours to get to the New Jersey, New Jersey Turnpike and the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Oh, my God. I don't even want to, and on a Sunday night, no less. So I would announce a show and then come back and do my shoot job on a Monday morning. Very, very bad. Oh, to be, oh, to be young again. <laughs> um, but so, um, so I started doing that for him once a month down there. And he also had another ring announcer he was using, but um, he wanted me to basically take over the whole show. And that ended up happening after a couple of months. And of course, at that time, he was very big talent with uh, Zero One in Japan. He was constantly going over zero, zero one. He was like the American talent liaison for zero one and so forth. And uh, he caught me uh, on Thanksgiving of 2001, again, on the AOL IM. And he says, hey, zero one's going to run two USA themes in Tokyo. and They want you to ring announce. And I said, oh, now, of course, I don't know what's going on. No one's ever asked me to do something like this before. I'm like, do I have to fly myself? He's like, no, they cover everything and they'll pay you this. Well, I'm like, oh, geez, okay. So uh, I went and did that. And, you know, this is where after knowing Steve for a while, that by that point, I'm like, wow, this guy, like, really, at least, I don't know if he likes me personally, but I know he likes me my announcing. He's, you know, he's got me to, to his company in Pennsylvania. Now he's getting me to Tokyo. This is great. Um, so it was uh, the summer of 2003. He, he IM'd me and he says, hey, I'm going back to Ring of Honor and I have this idea for my own personal ring announcer. Would you be interested? He ran it by me, and I couldn't say yes fast enough. I thought it sounded uh, really cool and really different than anything I'd ever done before. And so we did that. The first one was a bitter friend, stiffer enemies in Connecticut uh, with homicide. And uh, I, I some of the most fun I've ever had in my career. And I've had a lot of fun. Obviously, it's like 17 years in Ring of Honor and so forth. Uh, but some of the most fun I've had was doing those in Carino announcements or Carino intros, as people call them. Um, just so much fun. He would write them along with a longtime friend of his who was a, a talent also, uh, Guillotine Legrand, and they would send it to me a couple days in advance so I could kind of read it and look it over. Um, you know, if anyone can find those, I recommend <laughs> watching them. They're entertaining. They're actually on Carino's, uh, what is it, the very worst of Steve Carino. You know, people have best of. I think it's the Whatever yeah. his Ring of Honor DVD is titled. I think it's the, the, the very worst of Steve Carino Ring of Honor DVD. Uh, the intros are on there. Sometimes the intros went longer than his matches on, that, on a particular night. Um, you know, they were obnoxious. I would read off just random things. 
I, you know, would take a water break in between just, just stupid, obnoxious stuff, but it was so much fun. Yeah. I can only imagine how much fun that must've been. It reminds me of, uh, Adam Sandler and the wedding singer when he says, you will have to listen to everything I say because I have a microphone <laughs> and you don't. And that's literally what it was. The first couple of times we did it, fans really didn't know what to think. And then there was a four-way match with Carino, Punk, uh, Chris Daniels, and Samoa Joe at the Rexplex in New Jersey. And uh, we did one there and I think rattled off, like I think Carino at that time was like the NWA Southern champion, like some obscure title. And he, he made a list of all of the previous Southern champions. And this belt had been around. The list was so long, it like, seemed like the title had been around since Moses. Like, it was, it was really a long list. And, and, uh, and that was the first night we, I got the shut the F up chant from the fans. Like, they were, they were getting vile. They were, they were not happy. Um, they were waiting to see this four-way. And, you know, what do we do? Get the water. Take a water break. Till they stopped and then continued on it, like you know uh, it, it was the same thing i'm holding the microphone we can do this as long as you want to you know and um yeah it was uh it was a lot of fun towards the end they started to get some baby face reactions a little bit and they're like oh, okay this is not the original intent of uh what, what these were for but oh, it's just so much fun so how does this transition into having this, you know, this very unique role, Steve Carino's personal announcer, this heel gimmick, how does that, how do you transition that into becoming the full-time Ring of Honor announcer? So we were going to do Carino intros. Um, I want to say it was like April of 2004, maybe, in a weekend in Dayton, Ohio, and Chicago Ridge, which was a, 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 a stop that, a two-stop show tour that ring of honor made a few times a year it was always Dayton on a Friday, Chicago on a Saturday. And, um, not long before the the show, maybe a week or two before, uh, two weeks at the most Carino got pulled from those shows to go to uh, zero one, zero one pulled them to, to have them work events in Japan. So Gabe said to me, he's like, well, you're already booked, you know, the flight and everything, you're already coming. You just want to do the shows as the ring announcer. And I said, really? Like, you know, it's, you know, just straight up ring announcer, no gimmick, no heel stuff, whatever. He's like, yeah, just, just do it that way. Cause, and um, I, I said, oh, absolutely. So I went and did that. Uh, it was a little different because every other time I'd been in a ring of honor ring, I was the bad guy. And now here I am um, doing it that way, but it went smoothly. Um, and then there was a, the next month, there was a show up here outside of Boston, which they had asked me to do. And I did that. And after that event, Gabe, pulled me aside he's like hey you know what would you think about doing all of our east coast shows which back then a majority of the shows were on the east coast right and i said yeah i said yeah sure um and he went and he said okay he's like i'll let you know he's having to talk to a couple of people but he went and talked to a couple of people i think one of them was the a previous owner of ring of honor and they shot it down and said they wanted to keep the person they were using at the time whatever um, and then when Carrie took over full ownership of the company that fall, um, Carrie called me one day and he said, Hey, um, and, and Carrie, I should say, Carrie had told me previous to that, that he, he liked my announcing. He was a fan of my announcing work and so forth. So he called me one day. He said, Hey, if the, uh, if like the full-time ring announcing job for ring of honor becomes available, would you take it? And I just remember saying, if it becomes available, sure, I'll take it. And he says, okay, give me an hour. 
And uh, he, he called me back within a half hour. He says, okay, it's available. And um, <laughs> I said, okay, then I'm in. And uh, so the first event I did as the ring announcer for Ring of Honor was Weekend of Thunder with Liger in Boston, ironically enough, which was cool, uh, in November of 2004. And that's how it really, that's kind of the, the steps of how everything uh, transpired. It really went from the Carino intros to doing shows as a straight announcer on my own, thinking I was going to have the job, not getting it, and then several months later, being offered it and taking it. And here we are, all those years and 52 episodes of the podcast later. <laughs> here we are. I, I was starting to wonder if I had to be in Ring of Honor 52 years to get, to get on this <laughs> podcast. All right. Well, we're going to take, uh, we're going to slip another break in here. And then when we come back, we have a lot more to talk about still with uh, the voice of Ring of Honor, Bobby Cruz. Hi, I'm Quinn McKay, the host of Ring of Honor's weekly YouTube show, Week by Week. Join me every Tuesday for brand new episodes as we catch up on all of the groundbreaking ROH news and get exclusive comments from some of your favorite ROH stars. We also have some great weekly segments like Question of the Week, This Day in History, and Brian Zane's Top 5. Join me every Tuesday at 1 p.m. on social media and youtube.com slash ring of honor for week by week. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast, episode 53. My very special guest is the voice of Ring of Honor, Bobby Cruz. Bobby, let's talk about your WWE tryout, which was, what was the year, 2006? Correct. So how does this come about and what is this experience like? I think you had mentioned earlier in the podcast that there's a, or maybe this was off air, I don't remember. (laughs) It's all running together now, but you said there's a funny story uh, with that. So um, I got a phone call one day from a Connecticut number. Uh, And I don't answer numbers I don't know. So I let it go to voicemail and uh, checked the voicemail a little bit later. And it was someone in WWE at Kevin Dunn's office saying, we'd like to speak to you about an opportunity to audition as a ring announcer. And uh, I'm like, oh, I guess somebody's watching Ring of Honor, apparently, the DVDs or, or whatever. So I call back, and the next week, they had a, a TV taping in Worcester, Mass., which is actually in between Providence and Boston, not that, like an hour from me. So I'm figuring that, you know, until I call back, that's what they're asking about. Hey, can you come to Worcester, do a dark match, whatever. So I call back and she said, oh, we want you to come out next month to uh, Oklahoma City and Tulsa. And I'm like, oh, I thought you were going to ask me about Worcester. They're like, no, no, we want you to come out. Um, you know, usually we just have um, ring announcers do a doc match or two. But Kevin's seen your Ring of Honor work and he's really impressed and he wants to put you right on TV. So I said, okay, then that's, uh, that's, that's cool. That left me with one problem, however, and that was to talk to – Carrie and Gabe to let them know this was happening. And those were two of the toughest conversations I've ever had in my years in Ring of Honor because those are two guys that wanted me to take over as the ring announcer. Um, and now here I was going saying, hey, you know, I, the big company is calling. I've got to at least look into this. You know, I have a family, so forth, um, especially with Carrie. I remember pulling Carrie. I told them both um, – we had a show that week, or two shows that week. One was Glory by Honor 5. Maybe the whole weekend was Glory by Honor 5. Uh, in, the first show on a Friday night was in Connecticut. The second night was in New York City at the Manhattan Center. 
And um, I, I decided earlier in the week that I was going to wait till Saturday to talk to both of them because I thought it would be less hectic and so forth because we always have to be in New York, New York early with travel and so forth. And so that's what I did. I told Gabe first because uh, that's who I ran into first. He said, you deserve it. You know, he's like, look, Dragon Gate. By that time, Dragon Gate had also brought me to Japan. So he's like, you've been to Japan for different Japanese companies. Who does that, you know, as, a, as an English-speaking ring announcer um, and so forth. And we, we brought you here. He said, you know, you know good luck, basically. Um, and then I, when I had to tell Carrie, I, was, I, uh, it was, I still think about it, the, just the look on his face. Like, he was, he was supportive, but he was, he was hurt, you know, a bit. Um, I could tell he was, it's not something that he wanted to have happen to have me go somewhere else. Um, you know, he's the one that really uh, made the move when he took over full ownership of the company to have me come in. And now here I was having to look him in the eye and say, you know, I'm going to go do this WWE thing. So um, both supportive, but I could tell Carrie was just, you know, on a, on a personal level, friendship level was hurt a bit. Um, so I went out and, and did that. Um, they had me do Heat, the old Heat show. Um, the first one was in Oklahoma City, and I thought uh, everything went. Uh, I, I thought everything went fairly smoothly, um, and then you find out after is like a couple things. I'm like, huh, well, maybe this was a big deal, or is it a big deal? Because you don't know. I don't know. I don't know these people. So um, I remember working with Lillian Garcia during the day. She was very helpful as far as. Um, you know, information, you know, weights, hometowns on the guys I was announcing for that kind of stuff to me. And I could do it right now. I could step in WWE ring and announce the, the main event of WrestleMania right now. With, Cause I know for years I've studied all this stuff with Finkel, their timing, their cues, the bells, the cue, all this stuff. So I didn't need to be told any of this stuff. So if anyone was telling me this, I of course wasn't gonna be like, yeah, I, I know this. You don't have to tell me. I wasn't stupid like that. I was just like, okay, thank you. Thank you. But I, I felt very, very prepared for how they handled their ring, ring introductions, that I was, I was good to go. Um, so uh, I'm sitting there with Mark Yeaton, right? If anyone knows Mark Yeaton, has been WWF, WWE employee for years and years. He did referee stuff. And then he was uh, the timekeeper. He would ring the bell. He was in communication with the truck, with uh, Kevin Dunn's truck and so forth. Probably um, best known the- for throwing Stone Cold Steve Austin his beers. Yeah. Very yep. accurately, by the way. Yep. Um, and it, sh- it shouldn't be surprising since he's a Patriots fan um, that he would uh, do that. So, yes, he would always throw Steve his beers. And um, he was also my contact when I got there. He was like the, on- he's like the on-site manager at that time. So, no, very nice, easygoing guy. So, we're, we're sitting. You know, I go out to ringside. Uh, I, I think I had one dark match to announce, and then we're going to start taping heat. Uh, I'm sitting at ringside and he says, okay, he says, don't, you know, he's like, don't say anything until I point to you. And then basically I was the one, this is another thing I was surprised that they were putting me in there. They didn't really know me. I was, I was opening everything. Welcome to the building, this, that, whatever. They would have me do all this stuff. Um, so, but you know, when you get in the ring, don't say anything until I point at you. So a couple of minutes go by, I'm sitting there and he says, okay, get in the ring. Okay. We're ready to go. I get in the ring. Now I start. Welcome. Good evening, Oklahoma City, blah, blah, blah. Now, I have, these, I have these dark matches. Somebody gave them to me. I have them on a DVD. The lights are pretty much out at this point in the arena. And as I start talking, the lights on the ring come up because they must have been like, oh, shit. So I do my open. I do the dark match. I go back to sit down at ringside with Mark Eaton. And he goes, 
He's like, I told you not to say anything until I pointed to you. I said, oh, but when you pointed to me to get in the ring, I thought well, that was the point. You know what I mean? So <laughs> that goes a little thing. And then Lillian that day, the, the dark match I announced was crime time against Spirit Squad. And um, Lillian had told me, you know, we, you know, you don't know as a ring announcer who the members of Spirit Squad were going to be. It was going to be two of the four. They were the world tag team champions at the time. So just say the world tag team champions, the Spirit Squad. I'm like, hey, oh, that's easy. They come in, music hits. That's exactly what I do. I go back. And Mark also says, like, well, Kevin said you didn't announce the individual names. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. I'm like, really? I said, and now I don't want to throw Lillian under the bus, right? But literally, that's what I was told. Don't announce the individual names. So I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. So word got, must have got back to her. As soon as Raw was over, she came up to me and apologized. because So somebody must have gotten her ear for giving me the wrong information. But whatever. So I did that. It was fine. Uh, the next night, we had an uh, event in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which was a SmackDown and ECW taping. I had the easiest night. I only had to do a dark match that night because Justin was doing ECW and um, – and uh, Schimmel was doing SmackDown. So um, that was the night I was standing outside and just hanging out in the afternoon because you have to be there so early. And Cena came up to me and he said, you know, he's like, I was, I was looking for you. He's like, you really stood out last night. You were really good. And I said, oh, really? I'm like, wow. I, I, don't think, I don't think anyone pays attention to a ring announcer. You know what I mean? But here's a top guy who actually took the time to come seek me out and said that he thought I did a good job last night or whatever. So we struck up a conversation. I told him how he'd done some indie shows up here with, with uh, his dad because his dad's like an indie manager up here. And yeah. um, he's like, oh, you're from, you're from up there? I said, yeah, I lived my whole life in Massachusetts, basically. And like from that point on, he loved me. Like it was all, not only a job I did, but also – was that, uh, that I was from Massachusetts. So, um, so we just kind of talked for a while and what do you think? And I said, yeah, yeah, it's whatever. I said, you know, if they offer me something, we'll see. I'll have a decision to make, just making conversation. I came home that Wednesday from the TVs on Friday, they called me back and they said, Hey, how do you think it went? I said, I think it went well. And they said, we think it went well too. Everyone we talked to on site said you were so good to work with. You were professional, blah, 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 and everything. We want you to come out again next month to Chicago and St. Louis and do the same thing again. I said, okay. So I updated Carrie and Gabe, said I have nothing to report to you right now, but they want me to go back. So now both Carrie and Gabe think I'm a goner. Um, so I did the same thing. Um, the, only, the only thing I changed, because I have to rewind the story for a second. Um, after the Tulsa taping, I was ready to leave. And Vince McMahon was kind of like near the doorway. And I, you know, there's so many people there, but you know, you know how it is in wrestling. You're supposed to acknowledge people. You're supposed yep. to thank people, introduce yourself to people, and so forth. Um, so I'm like, well, here's the, the head honcho. I should probably, even though I like, I didn't avoid him. I just hadn't run into him at that point. I went up and I, uh, I thanked him. And I said, Hey, thanks for the opportunity. And he, he shook my hand and he looked at me. This is kind of the funny part to me. He, uh, he shook my hand. He looked at me and he said, Bobby, you did a hell of a job. Then he paused and he says, next time, just try not to be so Howard Finkelish. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, and I'm like, you know what? This is, if someone would have told me at the beginning of my career, someone would have said that, then I would have been, yeah, exactly. But I was like, I have not tried to sound like Howard since I was a kid. 
You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, no. And Lillian told me the same thing. They're like, yeah, everyone backstage was saying, oh, he sounds good, but he sounds just like Howard. I'm like, oh, no, this is not what I wanted. I did not want to sound just like Howard. Um, so I went back the next month, and I, I Heyman had also pulled me aside. Heyman took an interest in me, and I think probably because, you know, he's friends with Gabe from their ECW days and so forth, and Gabe may have told them I was going. Like, a couple of people told me, uh, Punk was one of them. I ran into Punk, and Punk said, yeah, I heard you were going to be here. You know, so obviously word had gotten around um, a little bit to at least people who knew me personally. And um, Heyman pulled me aside and, and was giving me some pointers. And basically, you know, I, I decided that I was going to tone things down a little bit. So if I, I've never been an over-the-top guy like we talked about earlier. I've never wanted to make it about me. But I even wanted to take another step back and just be more basic and get out the information, especially because I know how they like to control the ring announcing. So um, I did that, and then I, I kind of got wind that Kevin, didn't, Kevin Dunn didn't like it. Kevin Dunn didn't like – Kevin Dunn thought I he, – he used the term that he told someone I sound, I was more nervous, but he said I was more nervous because I was not as excitable as I was the first time. So it's like, oh, my God, I can't win right here. You know what I mean? It's like – Too many masters whatever, to please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, I can do whatever I want in Ring of Honor, but here – like I decided to tone it down a little bit and now I'm too like dull. And I'm like, Oh, I'm like, I don't, I looked back at the stuff I did there. Like the, I announced heat again. There was a match with Duggan and uh, actually ironically enough, it was Duggan and Colt Cabana. And I, and I, I'm like, I, I, to me, I hammered the, I hammered it. I hammered the Duggan intro and stuff. Like I wasn't too blah or anything. Um, so that, so I knew I was in a little bit of trouble there. I thought, um, when I got back from that weekend, uh, so, so that was on Monday and t- Tuesday. Monday in Chicago, Tuesday in St. Louis, flew home Wednesday. Then Friday, I had to go back out Midwest for Ring of Honor, the date in Chicago. So I announced for Ring of Honor and WWE in Chicago in the same week, which was kind of cool. So then I flew home on a Sunday. Now, this is the reason they were looking for an additional ring announcer was because Justin Roberts, who was like Lillian Garcia's backup for – he did Heat, he did Raw, and he did all the raw, all the house shows. Like Lillian, very rarely with her singing career and stuff, did house shows. So Justin did all those. They needed to replace him because Justin had taken over the relaunch of ECW because he, you know they basically promoted him to have his own brand. Um, I got back home that Sunday, and I read that the ECW house shows were drawing like 600 people, 500 people. And they were just going to combine them with SmackDown house shows. So they had the SmackDown house shows and maybe throw a couple ECW matches on there. I think, which is what they ended up doing. Right. And when I read that, I said, oh, I'm screwed. I said, because what what do you need an additional ring announcer for again? You you don't. You know what I mean? If you're going to combine them like that, you don't need an additional ring announcer. The next day, I get a call from Kevin Dunn's office, the the woman who uh, I had dealt with all the time. And her, her line to me was, our need for an additional ring announcer has greatly diminished. And I, I remember saying to her, yeah, I read all about it yesterday. And she says, yeah, she's like, we're not going to do anything right now, but whatever. Um, and I don't know if it was that call or maybe a week or so later in a conversation said, Kevin wants to know if you'll do some international tours for us and kind of like be a fill in type thing. And <clears throat> at that point I asked, I said, would I have still have to leave ring of honor? And she said, yes. And I said, that's okay. I'm, I'm not interested. I'm going to stay where I am. And, um, and that was the end of that. Uh, we've, I mean, we talked a few times after that, but it was always going to be like a backup type role. 
or like I said, international tours, whatever. But it always came with the, the uh, stipulation that I would have to leave ROH. And that was never uh, that was never a starting point for me. I, I would not that that was just end the conversation. So here I am. So I imagine when you go back, once all that's said and done, I imagine when you go back to Carrie and to uh, uh, Gabe, they're pretty thrilled. They're probably, oh, I'm sorry it didn't work out for you, but probably thrilled that it didn't work out for you in a way. Yeah, I know Carrie was. I think Gabe was too. I mean, I remember Gabe. Gabe and I always got along, but Gabe. Gabe made a joke one time. It wasn't uh, long after that, maybe a few months after that. We were sitting on the, the front of a bus together, uh, uh, headed to an event in Osaka, Japan. And uh, he, he, said, um, he said to me, he's like, don't worry about it, Bobby. I'm really good at booking WWE rejects. <laughs> I, was like, oh. uh, <laughs> I said, all righty then. No problem. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> nice. Yes, yes. Well, I, I could feel your pain with uh... – you know, Vince McMahon telling you one thing and then Kevin telling you, I mean, that's no man's land right there. When you've got those two guys kind of giving you different feedback, uh, you're really in a no-win situation at that point. Yeah, it was it, – and the, the funny thing is, right, I mean, Kevin Dunn has a reputation of being very straightforward and just speaking his mind, and a lot of times people don't like it. So people told me if Kevin has an issue with something, he'll talk to you about it, whatever. Everything Kevin ever told me was all positive. It was through back channels that I heard uh, different other, you know, the other critiques and so forth. And I'm like, oh, this isn't what I expected. You know, I expected yeah. him to, you know, even when we parted ways after the St. Louis TV that night, he's like, we'll be in touch. Good luck. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what the hell? I said, it's kind of, it was just kind of weird. That's kind of weird. But, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm glad it came out and I'm glad it, it went. Uh, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I looked into it. Um, you know, I had to, especially with two younger kids at the time and so forth. I'm glad all that happened. But I'm also very glad. And no no disrespect to WWE, of course. Uh, I'm also glad that it didn't work out at that time because uh, personally-wise, um, you know, with my kids, uh, home life, uh, my shoot job, Ring of Honor, of course, uh, things have definitely worked out for me better than I think they would have. I probably – you know, they're very cosmetic over there. They want female ring announcers or they want younger guys in their 20s, very low 30s. Um, now I'm in mid-40s. I would have probably been discarded, kind of like Justin was, and Justin's several years old, younger than me. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it probably would have been the same thing, and I would have lost my shoot job and all that stuff. I would have given all that stuff up. So uh, sometimes the, the best things that happen are the things that don't happen. Oh, 100%. And, and I think you make a great point about, you know, it being cosmetic. I mean, look, they had the great, in my mind, you know, the probably greatest ring announcer in my lifetime growing up, for sure, Howard Finkel. Um, you've got the greatest ring announcer in your company, and you decide to take him off TV because, yeah. you know, he doesn't, you know, like the way, you know, he's not the, he's not the look that you want at that point. So, um, you know, it was the same yeah. thing with Jim Ross. You know, Jim Ross was the best play-by-play guy in the business, and he sounded too Southern, or, you know, he wasn't that most handsome he didn't you know whatever it's like at one point when I was in WWE I was like wow and I was there 2011 to 2014 I was like we've got the greatest ring announcer he was working in the office at that point like I saw Howard every day at the office right yep we've got the greatest ring announcer on our roster and I'm seeing him in you know like out doing stuff with WWE.com instead of on TV we've got Jim Ross under contract and he's not he's not on raw like something's wrong here you know but and now we have now in ring of honor we have the best play-by-play guy so, you know, it's good. And he's young. Yeah, Nick Lendl's awesome. I mean, he nice. is. 
I yeah. said play-by-play guy. That's Ian. Oh, That's I Ian. thought you, you said watch the announcer. product. No, oh, okay. I said play-by-play guy. Do you watch Ian? I'll never. Yeah, I was just. I was so him. ready to jump on that and yeah. get you with a zinger that I didn't even listen. Yes, and I will. So you don't know me well enough. I would never put myself over. So there we go. No. Ian. Ian's the best play-by-play guy. But I agree with the whole Finkel thing. He. He, um, several years ago, I was inducted into New England Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, and he was uh, one of the two MCs with another longtime ring announcer here, the voice of New England, we call him, uh, Rich Palladino. And he, um, he went out of his way to talk about me and uh, said some really nice things. I have, uh, it's on YouTube, actually. Thank God it's on YouTube, because I, I have the DVD, but it's been to have the DVD, it's on YouTube. But his speech and what he said about me and so forth, uh, which he never, ever talked about other ring announcers, especially when they worked for another company besides his beloved WWE. Um, is one of the most special things that I ever ha- like have on video. Uh, it's just him talking. And uh, in my uh, speech that I gave after, one of the points I made was to thank him and how he inspired me and so forth. And I did say, you know, to me, he should still be announcing now. Um, I said something like he should be announcing as long as it's capable. Um, and he was certainly capable at that time. So, Well, Howard, um, obviously, Howard, rest in peace, uh, was – I don't think anybody's ever said a bad word about Howard Finkel. And, you know, anybody who got to know him a little bit, as I, I did, uh, what a wonderful human being. And, um, yes. you know, like I said, I saw him at the office, like, every day. And just the chance to, uh, you know, on occasion, chit-chat about, about wrestling and, you know, all the his experiences and, you know, telling me stories about – superstar Billy Graham. I mean, it's just, it was, uh, Howard was just such a, such a good guy. He, he um, loved it. There was, there was one day we had, he and I had a phone conversation for probably like, I don't know, an hour or 90 minutes, just about ring announcing. So forth. I mean, literally that was our conversation. Like, I don't think anyone else would want to listen to our conversation, but the fact that we were having the conversation with each other, I mean, I was, I loved it. I thought it was, like, it was just the greatest talk I've ever had. Well, just out of curiosity, was Howard on the road at that point when you were? Um, no, no, okay. Because I was no, wondering what he thought of hearing that you were too Howard Finkelish. <laughs> I, I did tell I did tell him that that Vince said that he just kind of chuckled, but he yeah he uh, he knew um, he he knew of me and that we really hadn't become uh, like personally talking at that point. Um, it was years later, but I had asked him one day. I said, "Do you know I even did like WWE stuff?" And he's like, "Oh no!" He's like, "I heard, I heard you were there. Yep, I heard. You know, because he knew about Ring of Honor and so forth." And he's like, "Yeah, I had heard about it at the time, but I, that's when I told him about the Vince slide. He just kind of laughed. And I, he was so humble. I don't think he knew what else to say." Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about uh, your career in in Ring of Honor. Is and I know this is man. This is such a broad question, but because I'm sure there are many moments, but. Are there any moments in particular that come to mind right away when I just, you know, your favorite moments uh, from a ring announcing standpoint during your, your many years in ring of honor? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of them have to do with being how proud I am of the company. Um, You know, not so much a personal thing for me, although, you know, so announcing a a main event in Madison square garden uh, in front of a sold out crowd with my daughters sitting there and taking pictures of me, my, ugly face being on the MSG jumbotron. I mean, that kind of, that stuff is kind of cool. And you know, when I'm done, when I'm done with this, when I'm done holding the microphone, I'll look back on this and like, yeah, that was pretty cool, especially to have them there. Um, but a lot of it is like, you know, the, the unification match in Liverpool, England at the Olympia uh, ring of honors, first UK tour when carry owned it. 
uh, with Nigel McGinnis and Brian Danielson. Uh, that's, that's a moment that I remember um, as being just really, really special. Just two special Ring of Honor talents in Nigel's home country. Uh, and knowing, even for me, you know, knowing the history was going to be made there because one guy was walking out with two titles um, was just was a really cool thing. Um, Joe versus Kobashi in New York City at the New Yorker Hotel Ballroom, that little venue, uh, just as loud as could be, um, was another one. The first time we did events, like literal Ring of Honor events, even though I had been to Japan for Japanese companies, to be in Japan with Ring of Honor events uh, was just really, really cool. So a lot of it has um, just been my feelings of pride in the company that I announced for uh, over the years. You know, the first, the pay-per-view we did in um, New York City, the Manhattan Center, the first kind of real pay-per-view, um, it's not live, but we taped it there. Um, and it, knowing it was going to air on, uh, I call it viewer's choice, but that's when we were younger, you know, on, on demand, that kind of thing, like a real pay-per-view, that's another one. So, um, you know, and again, when, when Sinclair took over the company and we did started doing these TVs, um, you know, it's announcing that, that 500th episode, I had pride. You know, I did the entering intros with Lethal, Lethal and, and uh, Gresham because it was a TV title match. I'm like, this is pretty, there's no crowd. Right. I mean, there's no crowd, but this is pretty awesome. It's a 500 episode. And then uh, the main event of that to announce Briscoe versus Briscoe. Uh, just just really cool stuff. I, I, it, like I said, there's so many things to pick from. Um, it's just a lot of it is just, though, the pride that I've had. There's been several times and I have no problem admitting this. There's been several times over the years where I've got like watery eyes or choked up at the pride that I've had uh, for the company that I announced for. Because of the fans' appreciation, especially, you know, I could you just those moments that you can just feel when I'm sitting right next to the ring, and I'm like, this is really, really cool, and I'm like, this is, uh, you know, I, I can't imagine uh, another company that would have been better for me to to announce for for so long. Yeah, and no, hey, no, uh, no shame in that. No, no shame in being sentimental or appreciating those kind of things because um, just the short time that I've been you know, around Ring of Honor, you know, I've, like I said, I, I just started doing stuff with the company in 2016 and I already have a sense of, um, I don't it's just a different experience than other places mm -hmm. I've worked. And, and it really yeah, it, is. Yeah. Go ahead. It's, it's just, it, but it's, it's not to interrupt. It's just hard to explain sometimes. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you're, you're having a little bit of a hard time just finding the words, which isn't right. a bad thing. I've had the same thing over the years. It's just that feeling you get kind of, you know, and it's, you really can't explain it. It's, it's that moment and just how you feel. Let me pull back the curtain a little bit. Um, when you're at ringside and you know, well, some, obviously sometimes you're in a perilous position uh, sitting there at the announce table, or not the announce table, but the table, the ringside table. Are you, in general, clued in that, hey, you might want to be extra alert during this match, or is it always – uh, a complete surprise when you have to run for cover. <laughs> it's a great question, and it's—I have a pretty, pretty accurate answer. Uh, I am—I uh, am aware of when I should be aware uh, ahead of time, most of the time, except uh, when Roosh is out there, and I am never aware of when I should be aware. Well, no one is. <laughs> yeah, it's—it's it's unbelievable. I, I mean, I literally. Uh, even now, you know, when we've been doing the bubble tapings with no fans and we've had pretty much a different 
timekeeper with me uh, each taping. And I always have to warn them when, when he's out there. I said, you literally need to be watching him uh, the whole time. Uh, I'll never forget. I think it was the match he defeated Taven for the world title in Vegas. Um, you know, he picked Taven up and body slammed them on like Ian Riccoboni's announce table. Like yeah. with all the mon- the monitors, the headsets, the sound boxes. Nobody knew that. I mean, could have put us off the air. Right. You know, like he, he is just, I have no idea what he's going to do ever. Uh, and it's scary. There's been a couple of times, you know, when Carrie's been there, because Carrie doesn't move as quickly as, as he used to, where he's coming at our table, Carrie's sitting next to me, and I'm like, okay, you know, my first uh, order of business here isn't protect the microphones or to protect the belts, whatever, to protect Carrie <laughs> and to kind of kind of push him out of the way because it's he is just I've never seen so anyone is unpredictable with stuff like that and 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 that says a lot because we had Necro Butcher in Ring of Honor for a while right. and he used to do things. I mean, there was one time he was going to come in the ring and he was going to walk over and he was going to kick me in the stomach. And I was going to come out as a match he had Samoa Joe. And from that point, Joe's music was going to hit, kind of do a run-in, save me, get me out of there. And they had their match. I'm standing in the corner. Necro Butcher comes walking over. I tighten up my stomach from the kick. And he punches me right in the ear. <laughs> and and he – it was the world's biggest potato. It hurt. He, I think he knocked me loopy. I went to the floor. One of the dojo kids at the time came – like was next to me. And he's like, are you okay? And I said, no, absolutely not. And I wasn't like – I wasn't joking. Like he smoked me right in the ear and I'm like, Oh, what the hell? So, I mean, that's unpredictable, right? When you, when you, when you're expecting one thing and get something else, Yeah. but Roosh, Roosh, uh, I, 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 I told, I was joking with production uh, not too long ago in one of the bubbles. I said, one of these days, he's going to grab one of these video boards and use it like right. Grab it. I mean, these boards are like how many feet long? He's going to just grab it. Now, of course, I'm being um, I'm not being literal because he could never lift it by himself. But it's, whoever it was, I said that too was like production, but not wrestling production. I think it was kind of like was just there and said he can't. He's not going to be able to lift that. And I'm like, I'm just giving you an example of how unpredictable and crazy he is. That's all. But he is, yeah, yeah. That answers the question. I think that's enough said. Yeah, yeah. He, Roosh definitely takes that whole ungovernable thing uh, very literally out there you have to be on your toes that's 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 what i hear we're gonna get we're gonna get to a point where i think i'm just gonna announce his match like introduce his match and then i'm gonna just watch the rest and announce the winner from the back because (laughs) it's it's just it's getting too risky let me ask you about the uh the big bump that you took uh it's was i think 16th anniversary from jay lethal right is that when Jay, jay did the dive outside the ring and wiped you out yeah, I don't know if we, I, I have trouble remembering what shows, but let's just say it was that one. Yes. Okay. Let's just say it was that one. Dalton Castle match. Yes. yes that one? Yeah, it was yes. definitely the Dalton Castle, Castle match. I think it was 16th. Yeah, pretty sure. Okay. It was 17th right. was, uh, was Taven and Lethal with the 60-minute. Okay. Um, yes, so, yes. Okay. Um, yeah, so for that one, uh, well, let me ask you this. Was that the biggest bump that you've ever taken? Um, I – it might have been because a lot of the other stuff I've taken is like a you know, super kick from Adam Cole where I'm just standing there. Right. Um, but that was a moving, a moving object in Jay Lethal coming at me. Um, so, yeah, that one, 
uh, actually it was my idea. <laughs> oh, okay. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, maybe not a good idea. But uh, yeah, the only the only casualty of that one was uh, I ripped a, a piece of my pants. So we had a we had a TV taping the next day. But uh, I guess when I landed against a guardrail or something. But um, yeah, that was uh, that one. Like a lot of these, you know, there was another time Naito got me in the middle of the ring uh, with a kick and then he booted me to the outside. A lot of the stuff is when I'm standing still, at least in the ring or announcing or whatever, get cut off. That one was more just kind of a random uh, here it comes type thing. And uh, so, yeah, that was probably one of the more nerve nerve wracking ones for me only because of that. It's something I like I hadn't done before. Right. Yeah, I would think that would be nerve wracking, especially on a live pay-per-view. And knowing yes. that, you know, you better be where you need to be at that point. And it's not something that you're really comfortable with because you don't do it all the time. Did, right. Did you come out of it okay? Oh, yeah. Except for my okay. pants. Yeah. So except for the pants. Okay. Was fine. Right. <laughs> yes. That, and I think that was the first time that I, uh, my daughters got mentioned on pay-per-view. I remember Ian Riccoboni, because I, I have the earpiece. I remember him saying, somebody call Kata, somebody call Sarah. <laughs> your dad's down <laughs> call his next of kin <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly hey one other thing i want to ask you about um being a ring announcer and that's I, I think howard finkel at one point was like i think he was announcing people at like their weddings um have you have any of your friends or has anybody ever like said hey i'll hire you for my wedding i want you to announce me and my wife when we come in i've done it Okay. I, I did. Uh, yeah. So I've been really good friends with the same guys in second grade and um, he, his wedding uh, I did. I was, uh, I think I was an usher in the wedding. I know I wasn't the best man. Let's say I was an usher. I, um, so I uh, did the whole, I did the whole wedding party, not the way Howard, like I've seen one on Howard, uh, Howard did it's on YouTube where they actually use like WWF theme music as the, as he's introducing each member of the party. They, they have their own song. Right. I didn't do it like that. It was like a literal straight introduction of the wedding party. Um, last year, a good friend of mine, he got married and, um, and he's in a band. So his band, one of his bandmates did the wedding party and then handed the microphone to me and I just did the bride and groom. Like I stepped in for the main event. So I, yeah, I have, I have done it a couple of times, but I've never been approached or like offered to be hired, which okay. I'd love by the way, that would be great. If anyone wants me to, um, announce their wedding when COVID is over here, uh, I'll absolutely do it. And uh, I won't kill you on price, but uh, that'd be fun. I think it'd be a, a blast. That would be cool. Yeah. Any wrestling fan for sure. Well, I'm still in my first marriage. If I, if I ever get to my second, I'll, I'll, I'll invite you for that or I'll hire you. Maybe you'll give me a discount. I don't know. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, actually I was going to say, yeah, the one I did first one I did, it was a first marriage, but the one I did last year, that main event one was uh, a third. So yeah, I, I, it doesn't matter to me. It could be any, any number. Well, Bobby, before we uh, wrap up this part of the interview and we get to the 10 questions, I do want to talk a little bit of Boston sports with you because I know you're such a huge sports fan. Uh, I want to throw a couple topics at you. Kurt Schilling, should he be in the hall of fame? No. Really? I'm surprised. I'm, I, I did not see you going that way. No. I, if you look at his numbers, I just don't think he was dominant for a long enough period of time. I mean, everyone, especially around here, well, people soured, around, uh, soured on him around here because of his politics anyway. Right. But, um, you know, uh, except for the bloody sock game, um, you know, 
his 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 legend wouldn't be as big as it was here. I mean, that was a great performance. By the way, I don't know if anyone's ever said this. I think the sock was gimmick. Um, You're not I the actually, first person to say that. Oh, okay. I yeah. I just I I've always thought that didn't even look like blood to me. Um, I don't I don't think that he was pitching and pitching that well with screws coming out of his ankle and causing blood in the sock. I, I think that was complete farce and, and ridiculous. Maybe it was to psych out the Yankees. I don't know. He pitched great, whatever. He was, he contributed to bringing uh, World Series to Boston. Great. But, uh, no, in my opinion, I don't want to waste any more time. Kurt Schilling is not a Hall of Famer. Okay. Well, as you know, adding color can add but, – uh, Adding color can add drama to any sporting event, whether it's pro yes. wrestling. Yeah, sometimes you need to get color. But more importantly, one-year Baltimore Oriole, 18-year Red Sox player, Dwight Evans is a Hall of Famer. And this crap better stop about him not being in the Hall of Fame. He almost made it with the Ver- Veterans Committee. Now everyone's saying he did so well with the Veterans Committee last time. That means he's going to get in the next time. I hope so because it's only, once only like every four years that they vote or something like that. Uh, so he's got like two or three more years to go. Dwight Evans, if you look at the numbers and compare them to other Hall of Famers, Dwight Evans is a Hall of Famer. That's much more important than Kurt Schilling. Well, Bobby, I hate to ever disagree with you, uh, especially on anything Baltimore sports. But I'm sorry, Boston sports. Dwight Evans did play one year, I believe it was 1991 with the Orioles. His, Correct, he did. His, his last year. Um, yes. You know, to me, he is the very definition of he'd be in the hall of very good. He was really good over his 18, really even the, the last year with the Orioles. He, he's still at like 270, I think, in a platoon role. He hit that. 270 on the button, Kevin. Yes. I, well, I'm a huge Orioles fan, so I know those things. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you look at his career as, you know, he didn't hit. There's certain numbers you need to hit, 500 home runs. He, he didn't get that. I think he was – what was his lifetime average? 270-something? 272. Okay. So, a really good, solid career. A few years where he was really, really good. An all-star player. Uh, MVP contender. But over the but, – but not – you know, to me, he's not Jim Rice. Jim Rice. Jim Rice being in the Hall of Fame over Dwight Evans drives me absolutely crazy. Jim Rice had one monster year in 1978, and he was very good for some other years. I get it. 77, 79, come on. Uh, okay, okay. Dwight Evans hit more home runs than Jim Rice, okay? Let's remember this. J- Dwight Evans hit three more home runs than Jim Rice. Three, okay? And although Jim Rice was much more of an average hitter than Dewey was, I get that. Yep. There was no comparison defensively. Dwight Evans won eight gold gloves and dominated. Very few people dominate in the field. Dwight Evans dominated in right field for about a decade. Dwight uh, Evans has more extra base hits than any other major league player in the 80s. Did you know that? I did not know that stat. But let me say this. Uh, let me say this. There, there's something – see, this is where it's weird because you look at longevity versus – this has always been my personal opinion. I've written actually – I've written – I wrote a column about this a few years ago for another uh, – a local Baltimore sports publication about guys who should be in the hall of fame. Um, I look at guys who were really good, like the best, you could say they were the best player in the game for a certain period of time over a guy, you know, maybe their career lasts 10 years, but during those 10 years, they, there's an MVP. There's, you know, they were the most feared hitter. in the, at one point, Jim Rice was the most feared hitter in the game. I would say 
Um, I would take that over a guy who had a really good career over 20 years. You, you would never say at any point Dwight Evans was the best player in baseball at any point in his career. You would say that about Jim Rice. You would say that about Fred Lynn. You would say that about oh Curtis Jemski. Am I come on, Fred Lynn, rookie of the year and AL MVP in '75? Well, thank God he's not in the Hall of Fame. He's not, but still, like there was a point where Fred Lynn was considered one of the you know top five players in the game. Dewey Evans never for, never was that for a very short time. Very short time. Uh, and again, and that's why he's not in the Hall of Fame, right? But 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 Jim Rice. I mean, to me, Jim Rice all day over Dewey Evans all day. Okay. Well, apparently the Hall voters agree with you. So there you go. You win. I had Matt Taven, uh, actually not on this show. Matt Taven and I had a, a conversation and I asked him, uh, did you root for the Tampa Bay Bucks in the Super Bowl mm-hmm. because of Tom Brady? And he said, of course, because, you know, all the, I'm, I'm loyal to Tom, all the things he did all those years for the Patriots. Why would I not root for him? How about you? You're a big yes. Patriots guy. Did you root for him or were you like, ah, screw Tom Brady? No, 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 absolutely. That is the correct answer that Taven gave you. Of course. How could you not root? Listen, I'm a big Belichick guy also. So I hate this thing. Was it Belichick? Was it Brady? Was it Brady? Was it Belichick? No, it was the two of them together. It was the perfect combination. Great. Uh, I don't think uh, Brady doing what he did. People say, oh, diminishes Belichick because he didn't make the playoffs this year. No, it doesn't. It's two separate, separate situations. But Brady did show his greatness by going to a basically a mediocre team with a mediocre head coach, in my opinion. And uh, they were mediocre, if you remember, two-thirds of the way through the season, what, like six and five, something like that. Yeah. And then they went on a tear, won the last five regular season games, won three on the road in the playoffs, and, of course, the Super Bowl. So, absolutely, I rooted for Brady. I watched as many Bucks games as I could. Now, I didn't go out and buy Bucks hats and shirts and jackets. No, I wasn't doing that. But I did, uh, when it came down to it, I was rooting for him to win his seventh. Um, absolutely, I thought it was great. Uh, and how, you know, I ran into a guy I used to coach softball with over here. Uh, I think the day before I ran into him at a CVS and I were talking for a few minutes, catching up. And I said, Hey, tomorrow, you know, I said, it's bucks, right? You know, he goes, no, he says, uh, he says, I, he's like, I was hoping Brady broke his back in his first game with Tampa. Oh. And I'm like, Oh my God. He goes, I root for the Jersey. And I'm like, okay, well, there you go. Well, that's uh, different. But so there was some of that. I would say up here, listen to the sports radio, whatever. It's something like 80-20. I think 80% of people were in Brady's corner rooting for Brady. And then you had that 20% was like my buddy here, hoping that he uh, never played again. So, um, yeah, yeah. But, no, I was uh, 100%. Uh, The other reason is, selfishly, by the way, that I didn't want, because it happened to be Kansas City, I didn't want Kansas City to win again because I didn't want them – because then they can start talking at the beginning of dynasty. And the last dynasty, of course, is the Patriots. And so I don't want another team like Kansas City with that great young quarterback starting a dynasty. And then, you know, and then people are like, ah, oh, Patriots are old news, which they kind of are now. But um, I, I, didn't want, I just want that whole dynasty talk going on with Kansas City. So it was the combination of that and also wanting to see Brady win. All right, well, let's take our final break. And then when we come back, we're going to – Play a little game we like to call 10 Questions with Bobby. I don't Fruit. know if I agreed to this. Did I agree to this? I believe you did. Let me let me get the let me hold on, let me get the contract. Uh, we'll find no. the contract when we come back from break. <laughs> Experience the show that's thrilling critics and fans. 
ROH TV. The reviews are in. It's completely different than anything in pro wrestling. I enjoyed every minute of this show. ROH TV delivers. Valiant Saint Raves. Take my money. This was awesome. Join the ROH stars for the hashtag WatchROH Watch Party every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. How do I watch ROH TV? Start by visiting ROHWrestling.com and using our zip code lookup tool to find your local listings. We aren't in your area? Don't worry. You can catch us on digital channels such as Stadium and Stir City as well as Fight.TV. ROH TV also airs every Monday night at 7 p.m. Eastern on Best on the Planet, our newly launched 24-7 streaming channel, which is available on Stir and Plex. The newest episode of ROH TV is always free on ROHWrestling.com and the Ring of Honor app. Ring of Honor has never been easier to watch. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is Bobby Cruz, the voice of Ring of Honor. Uh, it's been a lot of fun chatting with Bobby. Um, it's great to hear all your Ring of Honor stories and how misguided you are about some of your theories on baseball <laughs> players. Let's get to 10 questions. This is going to be weird because you introduced the 10 questions, and now here you are doing 10 questions. Oh, it's so exciting. All right, I'm ready. And it is now time for 10 Questions with Kevin. All right, question number one. What's something on your bucket list? Um, that, uh, that thing I told you earlier in the interview about announcing one match in the then Providence Civic Center, now Dunkin' Donuts Center. That is, uh, that is probably, because of all my announcing and stuff over the years, and my past, like I said, with my grandfather and going to shows there, I think that is, I don't know if I say number one, but it's definitely the one that comes to mind first. Okay. Well, was that, the question was, what's something on your bucket list? It didn't have to be number one. Okay, perfect. I answered it's, it. It's a list. More than one thing. Okay. Okay. Question number two. What's a subject you'd like to know more about? Um, history. Um, I love um I've, I've really gotten, as I've gotten older, I've gotten into um, different stuff, especially like American history. Like years ago, um, HBO came out with a miniseries called John Adams, which uh, of course depicted our second president. And um, I really, uh, a lot of that is because I got into it. I just love the history part of it. But also, of course, he's a local guy. He was a Massachusetts guy. Um, my, and then you kind of look into things become smarter as you get older maybe and they're like oh that's because of him well that's named after him and of course his son john quincy adams was the president my daughter kind of goes to a school that's in quincy you know that's where that name came from there's a john adams a historical park right near there which i can't get to i want to go so bad i finally was going to go last year i talked my daughters into it i'm like listen i don't care how bored you are just go with me it has his house it has all the on his, his grounds and everything and of course covid they shut it down so when COVID is finally passed, I'm going to the John Adams uh, house. But um, so, yeah, I think history, just learning more about history stuff. You know, uh, I try and watch documentaries um, as much as I can just to learn. Just so when I say, I know when I say history, it's kind of broad, but really just history. Okay. All right. Question number three. This is also sort of a, I guess, could be a historical type question. Uh, if you could have a conversation with any celebrity or any historical figure, past or present, who would that be? Mm. 
I hate to use the same answer again, but I might lean towards like someone like John Adams because if you if you watch that if you watch that documentary uh, that uh, that miniseries and then I have books on him and read about him and so forth, it's a lot of stuff he went through. Um, actually, there's uh, the uh, the host of uh, well, Live PD's gone now. Dan Abrams, he's host also at the shows, right? He wrote a book last year about the the fire of that John Adams was under. Uh, he he. Um, defended British soldiers uh, who were accused of murdering uh, Americans uh, before, right before, uh, you know, we broke away from England. Uh, he literally, as an American guy, a Bostonian, he defended British soldiers um, because he thought they were wrongly accused of murder and he actually got them off. And he took a, as you can imagine, took a lot of heat for that um, because he was defending these, these guys that they were trying to break away from and so forth. So, and there's other things. I mean, I can get, I have, can have a feisty opinion and feisty attitude sometimes. I kind of speak up for what I believe in and fight for what I believe in and, and to try and say it the right way. But it also comes across as kind of strong sometimes. Um, and I, just knowing about him as a, a, a person, he was very, very, very similar with that. Obviously achieved great heights uh, personally and so forth. So not to be boring with a similar answer, but I think he specifically, just because I would want to know what's going on in his mind, uh, to make it, I can answer it twice, a little more current, I think of someone like Howard Stern. Uh, I've been a big Howard Stern fan for years. Uh, I think he, he's, he, he's a misunderstood person sometimes. Um, you know, I've even had, I've had people, oh, he's a pig, he's this or that. And I said, well, have you ever heard anything about him personally? Well, he went through a divorce, but who doesn't? Uh, not you, Kevin. Um, you know, he <laughs> went through a divorce. Okay, no big, but it wasn't bloody. It wasn't bad, you know. Uh, he's got three daughters that, you know, one's a doctor, one's a nerd, whatever. You know, you never heard anything bad about his kids. They were raised the right way, all that stuff. So I think it's a misunderstood person. So I'd like to, you know, just kind of get a conversation with him to know um, who he really is, but also to hear kind of, you know, my struggles of talking about starting out in the Indies in 1990s in New England. I would, you know, his story has been a movie, obviously, and he's told it a hundred times, but I would really like to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation and just hear about his early day struggles as well. All right, question number four. Do you have any hidden talents? There's something you're good at that we don't know about. I'm really fast. Like, I'm really fast. Like, running. I'm like really running? fast. No. Yeah. Yeah. Not distances, but I, I'm, I'm really fast. Like, so when I played baseball, my thing was always, like, I would usually hit, like, second in the order. And as you know, as a baseball guy, second in the all you really do is moving runners around. Could be a butt. Could be just sort of slapping the single around. Yeah. But as you know, they call them the table setters, the leadoff and the number two. Your job is really get on base. So I would get on base with like just like a little line drive single somewhere or hitting a single through the hole, then I'd steal second and third. And next thing you know, I'm in, I'm at third with no outs or one out or whatever, and I'm ready to move. Um, yeah, that was – I'm really fast. I am um, – and I still am to this day. Like my 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 daughter, Kenna especially, will, she'll joke with uh, teammates and stuff to come over and hang out. And she'd be like, you don't want to race my dad. Like, especially like, let's say it's a 50 yard dash or something like that. Something short, I can accelerate quickly and I'm gone. But it, once we turn it into a little more distance, then I start sucking wind, especially when I'm a little older now. But um, yeah, that that is probably one thing people don't know. There's a video that I put out from a couple of years ago, because I'm agile too, like um, that uh, I was dared to, to do a leap in Pittsburgh at stage AE, a, a leap from the stage to the ring, or is Columbus? One of those two. Doesn't matter, Kevin. Doesn't matter. 
um, I was the distance. I forgot what the distance was. But it was a it was a good distance, and I was there. Todd Sinclair told me there's no way I could do it. Others told me I couldn't do it, and uh, I did a, a like a literal leap from the stage right onto the uh, edge of the ring apron. I had I think it was Rhett Titus and Jay Briscoe were there on the outside because my my fear wasn't I wasn't going to make it. The only reason I tried is I thought I would make it because especially I wanted to prove Todd wrong. But my fear was my momentum was going to bounce me off the outside of the ropes and I was going to fall backwards. So I just asked them to stand there to basically catch me in case I bounced off the ropes. But I knew I was going to land it. And I did. And I have that video. So if fans were to uh, please request, uh, add Real Bobby Cruz on Twitter if you want. After you hear this, I will uh, post the video for you again. It's a pretty amazing video. It's a pretty good ovation uh, by the uh, Ring of Honor crew. And um, But yeah, those uh, speed. I think speed is probably something no one would expect. Well, I hey, put me in that uh, category of not expecting. I'll race I, you any day, Kevin. I will race I'm sure you any you'll, day. I'm sure you'll win. I mean, I, I And had, the yeah. funny thing is, for years now, I've had a torn patella tendon in my knee. Um, but it doesn't affect me regular walking or even running. It's more of a bending up and down or going up and down stairs. That's where I feel it. The worst thing that happened, I actually tore it years ago at a show in North Carolina that we did. I hopped up into the ring like I'd done thousands of times over the years, and I heard and felt a pop. And I'm like, oh, my God. And it hurt like a 9 out of 10. Like, it hurt really bad. Um, so I went to the doctors, and they did MRI and stuff. And they, the worst thing the doctor told me was, well, it's a complete tear. You can't make it any worse. And I'm like, well, then what's the point? of If I can't make it any worse, why are we going to rush? So here we are, like six years later, I still haven't had it fixed. But, yeah, it, only, it doesn't affect me um, even in my running. So if I had to take a shot turn, so if you want to race me, the best thing to do is like get a course where I have to take a shot cut and then I'm in trouble. Question number five. Have you ever had a paranormal experience? And if not, do you believe in the existence of the paranormal? Oh, see, okay. Yes. So uh, I, I, I'm afraid. I want to answer no, that I don't believe. But I'm afraid to answer no because something will happen. Right. So that means that tells me I think I believe. I will tell you a story. So I live at the end, my street, I'm at, I live at the very end. I'm at the end of a cul-de-sac, a dead end, okay? Um, about five years ago, I, I go to bed early sometimes. I feel like it, I get bored, uh, like when I'm listening to your podcast. So <laughs> I, went to, I went to bed at like quarter of 11 one night and um, I have to sleep with noise. Like I have to have like a fan on or so I can't have the TV because the light will keep me awake. But like a, a noise, like usually I put a fan. Now I've learned I have um, this app on my phone called Rain Rain, where you can just play rain, you can play a stream, whatever. That makes, that helps me sleep. Okay. Yeah, so, you know what? I, I, um, use white, I use white noise, Bobby. That's what I, I yeah, use. Yeah, yeah. See, very similar, very similar. So, so I had my uh, literal fan, physical fan going on next to me um, in my bed. And my dog, I have a black lab, uh, he was barking, 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 barking. Now, he does that sometimes when cars just turn around in the cul-de-sac that he doesn't recognize or whatever. So I'm figuring out he'll stop. He kept barking. He kept barking. This went on for about 10 minutes. I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to get out of bed. And I'm, I'm more than half asleep. I'm laying there, and all of a sudden, my fan shuts off. Now, when my fan shuts off, that automatically is going to wake me up. I'm a very light sleeper to begin with. So that woke me up 100%. I'm like, oh, geez, I lost power. Somebody, you know, whatever. I don't know what's going on. Obviously, I lost power. Why would the fan go off? It wasn't me. I look over to my clock radio on the side of my desk there in my bed, and it's still lit. 
Mm. And I'm like, what the hell? So I get up, I hit a light switch, the lights go on. I'm like, what the hell is going on? So I get up and I open my door, I go out to the bedroom, I have this big bay window uh, looking out the front and I see like flashlights. Oh man, and I see them going towards my back room, my back, uh, backyard. So I go out the back door on my deck and then I see police are in the woods uh, next to the left, basically from my deck on the left of the house and they're in the woods. I'm like, what is going on? I look to where they're walking and I see flashing red lights. A car drove off street, popped the curb and went right into the woods, probably like 30, 40 feet. I'm like, what the hell? So then I'm thinking to myself, did something happen? Like, did did a, a, a spirit of some sort, a ghost, so to speak, shut off my fan to make me go get up and check on this? Because mm. why else would my fan just shut off? Right. My fan didn't break. When I went back to bed later, my fan went back on when I hit the power button. You know? So I was actually with my girlfriend at the time, who was a complete psycho. Okay, but... Um, I remember I, remember I had told her, I said, I said, you're not going to believe what happened. Uh, this guy drove, uh, off the, oh, past my house, uh, into the woods, blah, 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 whatever. And I told her the story about the fan and she said, well, you have a ghost in your house. You know that, right? And I said, what are you talking about? She says, I've seen her. I'm like, oh, well, you're, I'm thinking to myself, you're a psycho anyway. So how do I know if this really happened? She said, no, I've seen her. She's like. She's very nice. She'll never hurt you or your girl. She's just there. She's like, she shut that fan off to make you go check on the, the you know, what happened out back. Okay, fine. I'm going to leave it at that. They get, they get to bring this big tow truck with a cable to pull this thing out of the woods. Now I'm wide awake. Like I, now I'm pissed off because it's going to take me a while to go back to sleep. I decide I'm going to go for like a 10 minute drive, you know, and just like, okay, I'll go for a 10 minute drive. So I'm not so wound up. So when I get home, I can fall asleep earlier. I, I get back, I unlock my front door. As I'm unlocking my front door, I hear some voices. And I'm like, what the hell is that? Like, my daughter Sarah was up at prep school. Um, my daughter Kenna was staying at her mother's that night. It's just me and the dog. And the dog doesn't talk words. So I'm like, I'm like now what? I open the kitchen door, uh, the, the front door, and I see a light downstairs i have a raised ranch so i have like a man cave downstairs whatever i walk downstairs and uh and and i'm like i see this light and i'm hearing the voices i finally take a right and i realize as i check my daughter sarah's room her tv was on and i'm like what how is her tv on she's nowhere she's five hours away she's nowhere near here no one's been in her room no one would turn the tv on or whatever so again, now after what the ex-girlfriend had said, now I'm thinking that that's also, she did that too. She turned the TV on. Oh, yeah. you're, question, you're questioning about your fan? Well, guess what? You left the house and now you come back. Now you got the TV on too. So so to answer your question, even though I did it in a long way because I gave an example, uh, I think so. All right. Question number six. Do you have a, well, let me ask it this way. Did you have a celebrity crush growing up? I would ask if you have one now, but I don't know. Are you and I maybe too old to have celebrity crushes? I, I'll answer the latter now. Does that mean the latter is the, the last one you asked? That's what that means, right? 
Yeah, former would be the okay. first part. Latter yeah, I'll, ask, part. I'll, I'll answer the latter now. I definitely have one now. Rachel McAdams, the actress, actress Rachel McAdams. Like, not only is she beautiful, obviously that's not everything. She seems like to be the, just like the sweetest person. Um, and, and extremely important, she's a huge hockey fan. So I really think that um, she would be a crush. That I, I think she and I could have a uh, a good relationship um, if she's listening. Um, I'm kidding. I I'm sure she that. is. Yeah, I she do. A fan I, of the uh, ROH Strong Podcast. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so she no she would be a current one. But uh, when I was growing up, is that the question? When I was growing up, or yeah, did younger? you have one as a, as a young man as well? Um, I had to. Oh. You know who I heard I had a crush on? My mother told me. <laughs> I don't know if you know the TV show Eight is Enough. You yeah, which one? Which show? one of the uh, Bradford kids did you have? Uh, no, crush on? my mother told me I had a crush on the mother, Abby. <laughs> <laughs> my mother told me that I made a comment to her back when I watched that show as a kid, like, "Mom, why aren't you pretty like Abby?" So I guess, like, <laughs> I guess I had a crush on Abby from Eight is Enough. I don't know. Could have had heat with, heat with Dick Van Patten over that one. Yeah, yeah. Throw down for Abby. <laughs> uh, years years later, I saw. I was a big fan of the show Oz, right? HBO, and she she reemerged on Oz. And I'm like, oh my god, that's Abby. Like, this is great. Yeah, yeah. Was it? I, I guess. I guess Abby. I don't know. Betty Buckley, wasn't that her name? Yes, yes. Very good. Very 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 good. Betty Buckley. Oh, I know. Yes. Yeah, hey, I'm an old dude. I know a lot of stuff. All right. Uh, since we're talking about actors and celebrities and stuff like that, question number seven: Who plays Bobby Cruz in a movie about your life? I think a great choice would be like Zac Efron. You know what I mean? I think Zac Efron because uh, he's much better looking than me. So, like, you always want to be portrayed as you know better than you were, or you know, especially physically. So he seems to be very uh, popular. He was. I remember hearing of him when, um, you know, my kids were younger watching Disney Channel with the high school musical stuff. And then, like, he's emerged into, like, being a real actor now. Like, he's actually does not, you know, he didn't disappear like Disney stars do. So, I think Zac Efron, he kind of looks like, he doesn't look like me. He's better looking, I said. But he has, like, this brown hair like me. And so, I think we can make him infinite. So, yeah. I think uh, I think Zac Efron is a great choice because... Uh, my movie should be made maybe in five, six, seven years when I retired from announcing, and then we can have the whole story. And he won't—he won't be beaten up by them yet. That'd be good. Yeah. Well, I think Zach—I could be wrong, but I believe he's quite a bit younger than you. They might have to use some of that, like prosthetic makeup. You remember what they well, used? It, remember, it, remember when Eric Bischoff did that three-minute warning thing years ago on Raw, and he was dressed up as a as an older guy. You remember that? No. But um, I would say that um, I was just talking to my daughter uh, kind of the other day about a great movie, one of my favorite movies, not a recent movie, but Mr. Holland's Opus. Uh, as you know, in that movie, if you've seen it, he, uh, Richard Dreyfuss, is very young, and then he becomes very old in the movie. So that, yeah. I'm sure that can, that can happen, no problem. Yeah, through the magic of, of movie making, yes, I'm sure they could, uh, they could do that. It would, yeah, take, it would think... take quite a bit of magic, I think, to make Zac Efron look like Bobby Cruz. But I don't quite know what you're saying but um it's okay all right well hey i you know it's not like uh i'm not on the cover of gq myself right so all right question number where are we i'm totally lost okay question number eight. Oh, eight uh we are on eight right yeah we're on eight what's something popular 
that you don't see the appeal of. This is where I want cynical Bobby Cruz to come out. Dancing. Dancing. Just just dancing. Just dancing. I don't get it at all. I don't understand it at all. I can't do it. I have no rhythm to begin with. But I'm just saying, I just watch TV or I watch, you know, people at weddings, you know. And I don't understand the appeal to dancing. I don't get it um, at all. It, it's, it's so popular. You know, people can't, at weddings or functions, people can't wait for all the BS so they can hit the, to be over to hit the dance floor. And I, I, I've never, I've never understood the appeal of dancing at all. I just don't get it at all. Hmm. So, that's cynical enough or you want something? That's, I mean, that's, that's the first thing that popped in my head. I mean, that's pretty cynical. People love dancing. So That's pretty cynical. Wasn't that like yeah. the storyline of Footloose? Like the town tried to ban dancing? That movie's before my day, but I mean, it, it's, oh uh, yeah, it's, um, it's just, I just don't get it. I don't get it at all. So if a movie, well, hold on, let me back up a second. So if a movie was made before you, you were born or when you were, so you can't like, that means you can't watch it later in life. I just said before my day. That's all I said was before my day. There's plenty of things that I love. One of my favorite singers is Frankie Valli. Frankie Valli was, had his biggest hit before I was 10 years before I was born. Yeah. So that's, you know, no problem. Okay. All right. Question number nine. What is the last TV show that you binge watched? Or if you are currently binge watching one now, what is it? I am right now. Absolutely. I'm in love with it. It's called Queen of the South. It's on Netflix. I think it was a USA show uh, previously. It is, uh, I'm a big mafia type deal. Not so much in the drug cartels, which this one is, but I'm a big mafia type person. I love Sopranos, I love Godfather, uh, that kind of stuff. So, and Goodfellas. This, um, this one is uh, an actress by the name of Alice Braga, who I'd never heard of before. I had to Google her. When I when I start to watch a show and I like it, I always Google who the people are and see, hey, do I know them from something else? I did not. Um, she's so good in it, and the show is so good. Like I just started the uh, final season. Uh, the fourth season, and I, I'm already like I'm trying to pace myself and watch it slowly, um, so I don't so it's not over as quickly, uh, because it's it's really really good. It's about uh, her character who starts off in Mexico as kind of um, poverty level basically, and uh, and kind of works her way up, and next thing you know, uh, she becomes queen of the uh, the drug trade wherever she is, and. Um, but her character is not the typical uh, kind of drug lord you read about or see documentaries about. She's got a big heart. She's very caring of people. People like her and respect her and so forth. So, I mean, of course, the worst thing that could happen here is she gets clipped at the end, which um, who knows? I'll find that out, I guess, within the next week. But Queen of the South is uh, definitely, that is my current binge. Okay. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't watched it, but I've heard uh, good reviews. It's so. a, uh, I actually told one of my accounts about it, and he's a big, uh, oh, he's going to look it up and see what the rating is, you know what I mean? So whatever site he uses, I think he, out of 10, they gave it a 7.9. That's a pretty good rating. That's good, yeah. yeah. All right, well, we have come to the final question, question number 10, and I love this question because when Todd Sinclair was on, back on episode, I think it was 14, um, 39 episodes before this one, um, <laughs> <laughs> I asked him this question, so I'm going to ask you the same one. Which classic TV pair 
best describes your relationship with your good buddy Todd. And see, now you're telling me you don't. I don't know if you'll even get these references because apparently it's before your time. You don't know, but I'll throw it out there. Would well, it be Would it be Felix and Oscar, Starsky and Hutch, or Fonzie and Richie? Uh, Felix and Oscar. That's what he said. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Like I, I'll be honest with you, I'm not very familiar with Starsky and Hutch, but I am with uh, you know Richie and Fonzie. Uh, no, Richie and Fonzie got along way too well. Um, yeah, so it's definitely uh, Felix and Oscar all day. It's not even close. That is the way to go. There's a lot of he he really doesn't like me um, very much, uh, and uh, he has actually gotten very mad at me multiple times over the years. I don't think I've ever gotten mad at him. Uh, very loving towards him and so forth. <laughs> our friendship. So um, yeah, I would. I would. It's not even. We're going to just stop at Felix and Oscar. Absolutely, that's the perfect choice. See, I thought there might be a little Fonzie and Richie there with yourself as Fonzie, of course. No, no, no. Definitely not. No, Fonzie, was too, Fonzie was too smooth and stuff. I don't have anything anymore. I don't have any smoothness. I don't have any game anymore. I'm like, I can't even remember when I used to have those things. So, um, no, no don't, You don't snap your fingers and girls just show up? And, no, no, I'm yeah. done with that. Dumped that's like that's, that's so 15 years ago so i don't know um and then of course no and even with that like there's no way todd would be richie i mean like no i mean look at them they don't look anything like each other well i was thinking more of one was really cool and one was you know a little on the nerdy you know todd plays those video games and all that stuff you know like you see more yeah. like the, like the hip like i could see you in a leather jacket and I could see Todd when he was younger in one of those little Letterman sweaters. No, I could. No, I could. First of all, his Letterman sweater wouldn't be little. And second of all, <laughs> I would. I would never ever wear a leather jacket. I've never worn a leather jacket. I will never wear a, le- a leather jacket. I could see Todd in a Letterman jacket, like a football. Like he could be like a. You know, I could see Todd as a football star back in high school in a Letterman jacket like that. Sure, but me in a leather jacket, especially, no freaking, no way. No way. I've never All right. worn one. Right. I've, I had see girlfriends. I've had girlfriends that wear leather jackets. But not I not. see you in a leather jacket with a ducktail and a cigarette behind your ear. That's what I oh, see. Gosh, no way. Okay. No way. Unbelievable. No, but Oscar, Felix, Oscar. Whew, I, I almost think that we should just remake that with he and I. That'd be perfect. I think it would be a uh, do very I I have tried to do things with him in the past. I said we should record this, record that. I think it would be entertaining. He never wants to do it. I've suggested that we suggest that we have a... How about this for a t-shirt idea, Kevin, and all our Ring of Honor strong podcast fans? Listen, let's see what these four people think of this. Um, how about a t-shirt, right? With a t-shirt with a caricature of me and a caricature of Todd. And the tagline is, the most main events in ROH history or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, huh. I, I think we even put like a sledge t-shirt out or something recently. I mean, really, we can't have a t-shirt. We've been around like 35 years between us. We can't have a t-shirt and you get it, right? Like we've, we've worked the most ring of honor. Main oh, events. no, no. You, you don't have to explain it. No, I, I understand it. I get I it. I know you're new to the company in the past five years. Right. But, um, so I'm like, I think that would be like the, wouldn't people buy that? He, he swears no one would buy that. Well, um, let me say this for me personally. I would wear it. Um, I don't think I'd buy it, but I'd wear it. <laughs> if, somebody, if somebody gave it to me, I would, you know, 
I would wear it. Uh, okay. All right. Well, maybe it's a bad <laughs> idea. I, I think it's great. Maybe I'll have two made up. One for you, one for me. That's it. All right. Well, Bobby, before we uh, sign off here, uh, where can people find you on uh, social media and uh, any other, any other uh, things you want to plug? I want to see how many followers I gain from this interview for as much time as we put into this. So I'm, so my Twitter is very easy. Somebody stole my name years ago. So, but it is at real Bobby Cruz, C-R-U-I-S-E, not C-R-U-Z, at real Bobby Cruz. I'm not a very exciting tweeter. I'm going to try start tweeting more about um, sports, however. I think I should give my opinions more. I have only been blocked so far by two professional athletes. One's a Hall of Famer. Um, so I think I might start uh, tweeting about that more. I don't have Instagram, but if anyone Well, we know it's not Dwight Evans, so... Who, Dwight Evans. No. He doesn't have Twitter, that's why. Well, he's um, not in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> what a cheap shot on the way out. What a cheap shot. Um, and then, my, you know, people, fans or whatever, fans, uh, friends of me on Facebook, if, you know, one, once every six months I go through those requests and put through 100 through or whatever. Um, that's it, yeah, no Instagram. And then, of course... Um, and they can find me uh, my beautiful profile picture on the ROH website. Um, yeah, that's about it. Pretty easy. Huh. Okay. Well, Bobby, I know that uh, it's been a long time coming, uh, getting you on the, on the show, uh, like 53 episodes. Well, this is 53. Uh, 52 without your presence. Um, glad that we could finally get you on. Uh, here's a claim to fame. It, it took a while to get you here, but once we got you here, uh, we were here for a while. I believe this is clocking in as the longest uh, ROH Strong podcast to date. I am so excited to hear that. That is not my goal, but uh, um, it usually happens that way when I do an interview, especially with someone as knowledgeable as you. Oh. Um, very excited. I was also told, you know, um, happy hour with the bouncers. Uh, they had me on, and uh, I also set the record there for the longest version of uh, Happy Hour with the Bouncers. So uh, uh, those are two things I very take a lot of pride in. Very nice. Okay. Well, you know, I, hopefully it'll, uh, a lot of this will stay. Once Mark Brown uh, in production, he may deem some of it is, uh, is not good or too boring, and so some of it might get slashed out. But uh, oh. that's, Mark, that's Mark Brown's decision. I don't mess with that. Brownie. Yo, if he's going to do that, then know what I'm going to do. I'm going to order up another round of Johnson & Johnson vaccine for him. <laughs> yeah, I heard things didn't go so well there. Uh, but, he's okay, but he's okay now. Yes, yes, luckily. I'm joking. I'm joking. Okay. Well, Bobby, this was uh, all kidding aside. This was uh, truly a pleasure to have you on here. And, uh, hey, you know what? I'm not going to wait until 276. I, I think we should do this again before then. All right, you can ask. We'll see what my answer is. We'll see how I'm feeling on a particular day. You caught me on a good day today. Okay. Well, yes, this was a good day. Any day I can talk to you, Bobby, is a good day. So uh, thanks again. Remember, a new episode of the ROH Strong Podcast drops every Monday morning on ROHWrestling.com and most podcast platforms. Keep it locked on to ROHWrestling.com and ROH's social media channels. That's at Ring of Honor on Twitter and Instagram. Facebook.com slash Ring of Honor for news regarding upcoming episodes. Also, for the latest news and views, you can read my column, X-Files, every Friday on ROHWrestling.com. And while you're there, you can check out the roster page and look at Bobby Cruz's uh, wonderful biopic. There's, a, there's another little plug for you there. So until next time. And Nick Lendl. And Nick Lendl's. Until next time, this is Kevin Eck 
saying stay safe and let's all be ROH strong.